episode number 46, Andrea Lundy. Welcome back to the Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I am, as usual, your host, Michael Cruz, and this time, I have an interview with lighting designer and director of production for English Theatre at the National Theatre School, Andrea Lundy. When I was starting in the 1990s, Andrea, well, had all the work. I mean, really. She was connected to all of the most interesting theatre companies in Toronto and had production managed many of them. I envied her for getting there first, for for having the ability to get into the middle of the most interesting creative work, but that was not the whole story. Andrea is a brilliant artist. She learned her craft while working with iconic Canadian theatre artists like uh, the Daniels, Daniel Brooks and Daniel McIver. She was a part of the reinvention of alternative theatre in Toronto, uh, uh, centred around the Poor Alex Theatre and the companies surrounding it with the Fringe and with Summerworks, and most importantly, she fostered and trained a generation of theater artists that they themselves have become top artists in their own right, like Rebecca Pitcherak and Michelle Ramsey, whom we had on the show so many years ago. And now Andrea is continuing to train future artists as she runs one of the most important and I'd say innovative training programs in Canada for theater production at the National Theater School in Montreal. I had a sublime conversation with Andrea about her career, training, and philosophy of design, as well as the changes she has wrought at NTS during her six-year tenure. This is an important conversation. And to support this and future conversations with fascinating theatre designers, please consider supporting us on Patreon.com. During this interview in Montreal, I attempted to meet up with Michael Egan, and it, uh, well, it didn't work out. We were thwarted by a number of things, including some massive downtown shutdown for a bicycle rally in Montreal. Uh, But I need to get back to Montreal. To support such efforts and to help me produce more great content like The Bellows and an upcoming release of a, of a packed training discussion on projection, which I'll share with you in future episodes, I need your support. Please go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and please consider donating just, you know, two bucks an episode. It'll really help. Thank you for those of you who have signed up and your support is very helpful. Now, here is my interview with production superstar... Andrea Lundy. Andrea Lundy has been present at some of the beginnings of the rebirth of Toronto Alternative Theatre, the Poor Alex, the Fringe Festival, uh, grew a career to work across the country with some of the major directors in Canada, and has in fact landed herself at National Theatre School, where she is the head of production uh, at the National Theatre School. Andrea Lundy, a welcome to the title block. Thanks, Michael. It's so great to have you here. It's I'm so exciting. It's great to have you here at my house oh, yes. in Montreal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're here in Dorval, uh, just right, a suburb of Montreal. Um, now, uh, I've known you for a long time. Not very well in the first little part. So yeah. tell me about how you got started. You said you've been doing theater since you were 11 years old. Yeah. What did you do? How did you get started? My Well, b- before that, before 11, my... Um, 
my parents worked a lot in community theater. Mm-hmm. And taking me to the theater was cheaper than a babysitter. Sure. So I would sit in the house and do my homework and, and just watch rehearsal right. from a, a toddler, basically. Right. And um, <clears throat> when, my, when I was 11, my mother started a theater company in Ottawa. Theater 2000, which was in the early 80s, uh, sort of 78 to 83. And I was at high school and she was a small company. So I just would be there every day after school. I'd do box office, a lot of box office. That was most of my role. I would answer phones and then sell tickets and then go home and do my homework when the show started. And then every now and then they needed somebody to to operate. So I would, <clears throat> so I would operate shows. When I was 11... I ran the lighting board for a show, and it's the name of the show. I can't, I never have remembered the name of the show. My mother probably would, I I, I don't even, I watch it every night, but I was 11, and I had a lighting board that was rheostat dimmers and switches, and and so so I would operate my my switches and rheostats, and I I would run the lights that way. I I was 11 years old. And so after that, it was the, uh, the after, after high school, I'd just be there all the time. I would run shows when it was appropriate. And otherwise I would, I would just help out wherever I could. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, that theater, like many theaters in Ottawa in the mid eighties closed. And sorry, was this a professional company? Yeah. 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 One of the Penguin Theater, Theater 2000, GCTC were the three professional small companies at mm-hmm. that time. And GCTC is the one that has survived. That's survived. Is, yeah. And what was the reason for the downturn? I guess there was a, there was an economic downturn in the middle to late, the late yeah. years, right? Yeah. yeah. I think, I think it was a lot of that and it just, the audiences dried up right. hard to, to keep small theaters like that alive. And I think there was also, they had to move the space or something. There was a... <clears throat> there was a lot going do you, on. Do you remember where the space was located? Yeah, in the Byward Market. Oh, great. Right now, I think where the McDonald's is. Right. It was on the second floor. Above, I don't remember what it was above, but it was not a McDonald's. Right. It was on the second floor of uh, just above a, another store on uh, George. I don't know if that's George Street. Whatever the fir- whatever the main the first uh, the first street is in, uh, inside of inside of Rito. Fantastic. And so it was kind of preordained that you then would go to <laughs> exactly for drama. I think theater. I almost didn't get into the program I wanted to get into because I had too much experience. <laughs> I'm like, let me in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did you do theater in high school? Um, yeah, I did. I was part of the AV club, mm-hmm. as many of us were. <laughs> How do you get started? AV club. Um, I think I, direct, I directed one show. Mm-hmm. Inspector Hound or something oh, hysterically oh ridiculous. I did the same show in high school. Yes. It was my first show. I ran sound. <laughs> it was so exciting. It was the show uh, to do. Tom Stoppard. Yeah, it was very, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it was the 80s. Uh, okay, great. So uh, you get through high school um, and you end up at University of Toronto. Yep. And tell me how that happened. Uh, well, I, I was accepted at York and at U of T. My father at the time worked at U of T. He was a registrar, and he taught at the um, the registrar of the um, teachers' college. Right. And he wasn't the registrar for he was there for a few years, and then he just went back to, to teaching, which he he enjoyed more. And so I, it was a choice to make. You know, I had um, a, pr- a privilege of, of of free tuition if I went to U of T, which was really hard to turn down. It was, seemed ridiculous to turn that down. Yeah. And at the 
tender age of 17 or 18 or whatever it was, I really thought, I don't need an acting class. I don't want to take an acting class. <laughs> and, you know, at, at 51 now, I think, oh, that may have been a good idea. Maybe I should have done that. But uh, uh, so I picked U of T and I'm actually glad I did because I got to do things that I don't think I would have been able to do at, at York. And it was a different level of experience for me. Uh, and what kind of, what was the course structure like? You said it was very much like it is today. It's a very academic course. Very right? academic, yeah. yeah. I don't even actually remember too many. There, there was no practical right. course. Uh, I think there were more now than there than there were then. And uh, so a lot of my courses were just academics in the, in the university. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of aligned myself at the at the uh, the Helen Gardner Phelan Playhouse, which was the UC Playhouse when I started. Right. And uh, I just sort of aligned myself. And the TD at the time, Glenn Davidson, was... He always had a an assistant technical director, and so I applied for that and 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 got it. And uh, I think I was there for more than two years, or two years, or two or three years. Anyway, for sure that I was. Was this after you had graduated? You no, while I was at school. While you were at school, yeah. So you were doing shows and yeah. and teching stuff while you were there. Yeah. Well, yeah. was it a lot of rentals, or was it mostly for the school? Mostly or? for the school. Right. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure we did rentals as well. I don't really remember. I don't remember so much about that, but I remember a lot of the the school shows themselves and the, the acting classes. And yeah. uh, were you at? Uh, I'm I'm just finishing up my time at U of T. Uh, were you uh, in any of the other theaters at the time, or were they? Was it mostly in that? I was there. I was strictly there. Strictly there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. And so Glenn Davidson gave you your first break. Now, did you? Were you designing, or were you? Uh, no, I reading? think. Yeah, I think I did some. Yeah. I, he. He did most of that, but I would certainly, I learned from him. Yeah. Uh, that was a big, uh, big opportunity to be able to, because it really was just the two of us and whatever other students were around. And there were a few, mm-hmm. quite a few, and quite a few that I still, that are still good friends today. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's the time Deanna McIntosh was there, mm-hmm. Jeanne Lesage, Alison Petty, right. uh, a lot of, a lot of great people who are still uh, sort of within the industry today. And so it was, a, and Alison McMacken was a great experience um, it wasn't like school because we weren't being graded on mm-hmm. some people were i i wasn't it wasn't a course for me it was just what i was there to do and learn from uh learn from just doing the work yeah uh excellent and so what was your first design do you remember the your first professional design was it were you in school still or did you was it after after, after i graduated so Glenn Davidson at the time was also worked a lot with Theatre Columbus and had worked with them from the very beginning of that company. And uh, he, I worked with him, I, I think I was working with him as a production manager, assistant production manager or something on Dr. Dapertudo just at the end of my school year. And uh, the year after, so 1990, the, uh, they, he needed um, a co-designer for Twelfth Night. And so I I, uh, I did that with him. We co-designed the lights for that, which was hysterically fun. It was at the old poor Alex, the ten foot grid, right. ten foot grid poor Alex. Yes, like, exactly. Oh, okay, this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Get the fresnel out. Yes, exactly. I remember uh, uh, obsessing over little black wrap flags and everything because I didn't want to see the sources of every single light yeah, as we did yeah. that. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I did one show there. Uh, so that's great. So, uh, you're at the poor, this is, the, uh, this is your first introduction to the poor Alex too, I guess, eh? Coming out of that. Yeah. Dr. Dapertudo was for was, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you started working there. Yeah. Right as, after, 
right after I graduated. As a TD? I was the TD of the venue okay. for the, the companies who ran it, right. Theater Columbus, uh, Theater Smith Gilmore, and Crows. And Crows. Yeah. Right. This is like the beginning. These are the big three. Yeah. Big, like, they reinvented, basically, alternative theater. Yeah. 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 Which is important. It's a hit time of history that's not really recorded a lot of. Uh, yeah. People are, I don't know, it's in the past, and it seems like it's not ancient enough for people to remember thinking about writing it down. So when you go yeah, on the internet, so. yeah. that in, uh, history doesn't exist. So how yeah. was it, what was it like being at the poor Alex? I mean, it was a pretty important venue like for a lot of people. A lot of people yeah. sort of became really, it was, awesome it, and it was at a time where there weren't very many established venues. Right. There were, you know, Passmari and Tarragon were there mm-hmm. and there were, there were bigger venues, but of that size for small companies to, to build a foundation of work on, there were, there were very few. And it was, a converted space. It was tricky in many, many respects and uh, and, and and challenging. But what a and the building held the offices of the companies upstairs. And Nightwood Theater was up there as well. And so it was a very li- really lively place it, to work and some amazing people to learn from. Uh, great. And uh, any other shows you designed in the space you want to talk about? And poor Alex, like you were you were you were working as a lighting designer at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's where I started to kind of doing both. And at that time, and I think it's still the case today, uh, PM lighting designer is such a a common yeah. uh, pairing of jobs because they're uh, well for 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 a lot of reasons. It's not even so much the the the, the skill set. The skill sets are different, but. Uh, the, the people share those skill sets. I think uh, the, the way of thinking and the way of working, it, they can become a common, mm-hmm. uh, they work together really well. So I, I think most of my work for lighting in that venue was with uh, Columbus. Right. And, <clears throat> and that was all really due to Glenn and we'd work together sometimes. And then I would do some shows on my own. And, uh, uh, but I did a lot of PMing there, right. mostly PMing. Uh, fantastic. They actually fill some in some gaps for me because I got a job there from Glenn as well mm. when I came back from my first year at Blythe. Uh, I was working with somebody, Jack Nicholson. I know what did the sound for it. I forget who, forget who the directed it. I can't remember the show was. Yeah, big jungle gym. People swung off of. Uh, interesting. So, uh, Theater Columbus. Who was that? Who was heading Theater Columbus at the time? Uh, it was Leah Trinyak and Martha Ross. Right, right, yeah. Right. And they had they they had started that was their company yep. in the beginning right yeah uh, and uh, Daniel Brooks who else was there Daniel Brooks was there? he no Daniel no? well Daniel was he was in some of the shows oh, okay. he would work with Theater Columbus so that was probably the first time I met him was on she's uh, the show is not in my brain anymore but okay. uh, he was an actor in the in a show that I was that I was uh, part of right. or peripherally part of and then. Um, but early on, I had started. I started to work with the Augusta Company right. soon after graduating, and soon after starting at the Poor Alex as well. I did Red Tape was the first show I did with him, and uh, and then the Lorca play. play, yeah, with Dada Camera. Right, that was a pretty important work as well. That's oh, sort of that's amazing. Yeah, can, what can you tell me about it? Like, what was the first of all? Do you remember? Can you give us a quick synopsis, or it was like a no? No, I know it's so long ago. <laughs> so long ago. <laughs> Lorca and women and right. the women involved in the Lorca story. Right. I don't, I, it's, it's a long time ago. Yeah. I, know. I, me- I remember I have visceral memories of some experiences with those women because mm-hmm. it was, I loved it. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was a big challenge for me. And I, 
and we toured to Montreal. And I remember that trip to Montreal, putting it into the theater, and then nothing about the run of the show, but just hanging out in Montreal with those women, I remember. Such a great Valerie Bahajar, Tracy Wright, Maria Vakratzis. Oh, so many and and but just a great and then and then Daniel McIver and Daniel Brooks. And how about your taste? Like were you developing a style that you was was recognizable? Or are you we'll talk about your sort of approach to theater, mm-hmm. you know, in a little bit. But yep. uh you know, were you aware that you were um approaching theater a certain way, or did you have certain uh views of what you know, the structure of a lighting design would be, or were you really just approaching each play? I think at that time I was just approaching the work as what can I, what can I do to help? What can I do to learn? And I know that, you know, Daniel Brooks way of working, I really understood. Mm -hmm. There was something about it that I, uh, I loved the challenge of that. And I loved being a part of those, that type of discussion Mm -hmm. and it suited me. It suited my aesthetic. So I guess that's, how I started to build an aesthetic or an idea of what I, the way I like to work or uh, from those early days with Daniel, for sure. Lorca play, I'm sure started that because it for me was such an important, uh, such an important part of my process, learning process. And how would you describe, uh, we talk about Daniel's way of working. How would Mm -hmm. you sort of describe that? Is it, and how was it different than other people you had been working with? Um, Well, it's not, prescriptive Mm -hmm. and there's no uh there's no has to be this has to be that it's it's about kind of discovery Mm -hmm. and if it doesn't work you don't have to analyze why it doesn't work you don't have to analyze what would work we just try something else and it's quite it's uh it's amazing when it starts to click there's no uh it's it it becomes an easy process where you are we work together, define space together, define shape together, and then build a play around that or build a moment around that. And he's so, it's, you know, and Lorca plays wasn't that, but he is such a text-based director and it challenges to, challenges you to always come back to the text. What is What is the text doing and how is it? How does the actor live within that text and how does the actor then live within a space that is provided for them? And... I, I just think it's, he's not, there are many, there are other directors like that, but there are none that, I, for me, it's, it's been the most, he's been the most challenging and rewarding right. of, uh, in that, in that, in that world. There are others that have challenged me as well. And, but I find his, his approach really inspiring. Fantastic. Uh, and were you in rehearsal all the time? Or was this something, was it like a traditional see a run, have a meeting, work on some stuff? Or were you around a lot? Like you're in the yeah. space a lot, so you're, you're going to be around anyways, right? Uh, yeah, and that's the, that's the strength of the way Daniel works, is that he's he's rehearsing in the venue and trying right. or trying out things. And uh, pretty much every everything I've worked on with him has been has been that, where you have a workshop process where you, right. you, you, you define space yeah. together. And... and um, and with sound design as well, right? What is the partnership with that and, and how, to, how to build that together? Right. Yeah. And it's a very, uh, it's a different process and it takes a different skill to be able to uh, play and try and change and play and try and change. And not, not that, but this, just move the lamp over 10 feet and it has a different angle and it's totally different. Right. 
something that moves in five, you know, at five count is totally different than something moves in a six count. And what is the difference and how does it matter? Uh, you discover those things kind of in the space together. It's, I imagine it's a, it's a lot different than, I mean, Traditionally, you've got a lot less time to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So I guess that also lets you think about them more, too. It's not just reaction. You're actually yeah. thinking yeah. about what is it, purpose is it serving yeah. in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a lot. It's, there's a dedication to it. There's a lot more work because yeah. you hang things and then you move things and yeah. then you try it and then you move them again. And yeah. you, you have to you, you have to want to work hard. But the actors are working equally hard and Daniel's working equally hard. It's not you're not alone in that. Yeah. Uh, did you find after the, uh, I just want to dig down a little bit more. Did mm-hmm. you find after you had opened, was the process, was the show set or would there be a, like, were you operating the show after it was open uh, or were you around think, oh. for notes and things? Or was that something that was, once you hit opening yeah. night, we found our, we've had our chance and we found our voice and then. I don't, I don't, we're never an operator for almost everything. Like right. Even at the poor Alex, I would have a technician yeah. who would, who would do most of that. I have done some, but not a lot. And, um, I know Daniel's pretty traditional in that sense. He doesn't tend to change too much. He might be a discussion of some of the little tweaks here or there. Um, I learned this thing about Daniel early on and I always pass this on to my students now. I said, well, then Daniel will come and say, it's just not working is there something really wrong? There's going, we have to fix it. Like, what, what is it? What is it? What have I done? I've messed up the whole thing. I'd be like, should it be a three count or a four count? Maybe we change it to a three count. It's like, yeah, try that. Okay. That's it. That works. And you move on to, and I learned a massive lesson about, you know, little things matter and, and that every moment has, there's space for a conversation about every moment. Right. That's fantastic. All right. So now the, uh, at this time, the fringe was starting in Toronto. This is mm-hmm. late 88 mm-hmm. or 89, right? 88. Yeah. Was the first year. The fringe was 80. Yes, it was it. I have it here in my memory bank. Uh, 89. 89. Yeah. And you were around for the beginning of that. Yeah. Okay. 89 okay. to 93. Who started it? How, how did, what do you remember being like, like the environment being and why was there, I mean, the Edmonton fridge had been going on for a couple of years, at yeah. least several years, yeah. five, six years, I think. Yeah. So uh, obviously there was a, a need for it, but uh, how did it get started? Do you remember? Gregory Nixon mm-hmm. uh, was the, the the initial producer, I guess. I guess of it, and and I I don't I wasn't I was so yeah, I'm just out of university, yeah, yeah. so I I don't know the the whys or what he wanted to do with it, or if I did, I, I it's not in my it's not something that I have you know something to. To, to talk about that easily, but again, it's Glenn Davidson. Glenn Davidson had signed on to be the PM and needed somebody to be there because it was too, it wasn't that many venues actually, and there were weird venues. It was the Poor Alex for sure. Um, Sneaky D's when it was on Bloor Street, it oh, was a it was a crazy. downstairs on Bloor Street, uh, like sort of across from Honestheads. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. And there was, I think it was downstairs and it was just a bar. Mm-hmm. And so that was one, that was a venue. And I'm sure there were other venues that I don't, but he needed a, a partner as an assistant to, to work around. So I think I did that with him for two years. And then, and then Glenn didn't do it anymore after two or three years. And then it was Roger West and I did a PM bit when we just became more and more venues. And um, I think Gregory just, he wanted Toronto to have that, the, the the summer theater life of mm-hmm. of French theater there is nothing like it right it's 
And so, I don't know, was he visionary to do that, or was he responding to a need that was obvious? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Anything that you can remember that was especially, I mean, obviously doing theater in a bar underground is kind of a challenge. I can imagine it wasn't, I mean, mean, tech is not something that's vitally important to Fringe, but it sort of gives you a frame within which to work. Yeah. Um, How did you find... Like where were the where was the dressing rooms? Was there any dressing room space? Was there, like, no props? idea. Like, I can't remember. All I remember is a little setup in the bar. And yeah, that's crazy. I don't even remember what shows would have been in there. No, the Poralux, I think at that time was the main venue, and the Transact was the the Fringe Club. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. So it kind of and maybe the Annex was another one. It certainly was early on. I can't remember if it was that first year, the Annex Theater. Yeah. So again, another weird little funky little space, and um, uh, there was. What was fantastic? What's fantastic about the fringe is you know the idea of community, sense of community, and the sense of small companies having uh, space and a voice, and 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 the ability to to show their show their work. Mm-hmm. What's not so fantastic about the fringe for somebody in uh, a PM role is that you have to define rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. You have to because if you don't, it gets away from you, and then everything suffers. And after five years, I just, for me, it was, uh, I, I got tired of saying no. Yeah. And you really, the the no is necessary in order for it to, things to be possible. Right. But I didn't sign up in theater to, to say no. Right. It was, it's not. It's never fun. No. No. Yeah, it's, yeah I totally understand. <laughs> uh, necessary, though. And as somebody who has, like, as a, as a designer, uh, I like it when maybe when they not say don't say no to me, but when they when when production managers define the no, it's really important. It's really important. It really helps me yeah. because you can go okay, these are the parameters. Yeah. No one's going to add a sec another like set to the second act. We're not going to not going to change things yeah. yeah. because someone's saying no. Hold on a second. It's just a, yeah. You know. the, for for me, you do your homework. You do what you can. Sometimes the answer is no. Yeah. But it can't be your first answer. It can't be the easy answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. And so you leave. So poor Alex. Uh, anything else that, uh, about the poor Alex that you recall? Like any really important uh, outside the Lorca? Oh, that was the unidentified human remains was there, oh, which right. I I was just the PM of. The, I just remember standing. They were so packed. People came. They were pe- like waiting lists and waiting lists of people every night, and I would stand on the box office counter and tell people where to go because the room was packed and nobody could hear anybody. And I'd be like, I remember standing, I remember standing on that counter yelling at people to go because they w- couldn't get them to move even to start the show. Mump and Smoot was there. And uh, I, I remember just getting, trying to get them to start on time was the <laughs> hardest. I made it into their shows many, many times because I would, certainly in the fringe, I would be, I would to get them to start on time. <laughs> we had all these things that I would, I would wave at them and try and get them on, or I would call them and then they'd make fun of me. And then of course I'd make the show longer because they were making fun of me trying to get the show started on time. And, and <laughs> just, yeah, uh, those, the, the, the poor Alex and fringe, I've got lots of great little memories of it. Uh, the big memories for me is just an incredible, what an incredible opportunity to meet all those people that I worked with so many amazing people yeah. who or today are, you know, the, the, the top of their, yeah. the top of their fields. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then what did you move on to next after the poor Alex? 
uh, you went to... Uh, I went right to um, to Passamari. To Passamari. Yeah. That's right. And you were the PM yeah. of Passamari. And you yeah. had your office in the basement at that point, right? You were in the bit like a, yeah. a wood shop. In right? the, yeah, that's right. Right in front of the right in front of the carpenter shop. I can't uh, now to this day. I think I remember the carpentry dust just caking everything yes. in my office. <laughs> I don't know how my computer survived <laughs> or my lungs. But yeah. anyway, well, exactly. Yeah, I remember that as well. Uh, that's fantastic. So, so uh, what? How did you get hired there? And I mean, it seems like a logical step, right? You've gone from the poor Alex yeah. to the Passbury was established, you know, in the nineteen seventies, and yeah. it seems like a logical step up. Um, yeah. How did you get hired? And you were still designing. I was doing more design at the yeah. yeah so up to ninety three I was at the the Porlex and I was doing more and more designing of of of, uh, of 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 shows like I've got you know actually not some I had done some something that Passmore had done Urban Donnellys and I just I also done I had done Romeo and Juliet under the Bathurst Street Bridge with Diane Dent oh. that was. Yes, I was going to ask about that. I found a uh, a review about that. I, thought, yeah. I remember that vaguely. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. They, they, who, who was it with? What company was it with? Diane Dett, which is Sarah oh, Stanley. Dett, that's right. Yes, and uh, Troy. Yeah. And Troy and uh, Minda. Oh my gosh, names. Minda Johnson. Yeah. 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 So they started. They did the Romeo and Juliet, and I I lit it. Right. I didn't PM it, but I lit it. What? My line. Did I PM it? No, I don't think I did. No. Sarah, help me. Uh, but I definitely, I lit it and it was amazing. Yeah. It was just, and it was just me as a young designer kind of trying to figure out. Where was it exactly? Uh, right under the Bathurst Street Bridge, um, just by where, you know, a set reset used to be in that building, yeah. which is now a bre- the brewery. Yeah, the old Loblaws building. It was the old Loblaws warehouse before it was set reset. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's a, and now it's, it's an Amsterdam, Amsterdam. Yes. Brew pub or something? Yes, yeah, just something. north of Lakeshore on Bathurst, yeah. south of the highway. So we were uh, just beside that or, right. you know, north of that, but right there. It's yeah. crazy. Whose idea was it to set something down there? I guess it's Sarah Stanley and... Sarah Johnson. and Troy. Troy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. And uh, what was it like? Where did you get your power? Like, that seems like a crazy place, especially that time to... I remember much more the second the second show we did, because I, I was there all day long. Right. It was just a generator. Yeah. yeah just a generator. Yeah parked around the parked around the corner and it was that was no there were no conventionals it was a lot of whatever lights we can find and practicals and yeah yeah but really interesting really interesting yeah how did you um how did you deal with uh, it being open all day like there's under the like under yeah. the gardener there's a yeah. lot of uh, curious characters that hang out down there yeah uh and even in, like even more so then well when we did um uh we did oedipus under the under the gardener yeah. so down and around the corner <laughs> by the exhibition. Basically, people would, would park there as security. The, the cast and, and company members would sleep there. I never slept there. I always said, I said to Sarah, I said, if I can just, even if I go home only for four hours, right. I just need to do that. Right. Um, and my dog was with me every day, too. Right. And there'd be 50 people under the gardener. It would be 50 between actors and crew and volunteers and stuff. One new person came down the hill and she would bark. Thinking, that's now we got the right dog. Yes. <laughs> that's fantastic. And I would say that the Oedipus is for me the best the best theater experience I've ever had. Really? Yeah. What was it? What was great about it? I mean, it's a pretty traditional. It was really hard. Yeah. And again, nothing about it was easy. Right. We had we had a massive flood one day, and everybody in the company 
worked so hard just to save the set. We built this big ziggurat. We had a we had a generator truck. My dog hid under the generator truck because the <laughs> she couldn't stand the the lightning. And the guy up at the top of the construction site was looking at us, and he had a backhoe. And I went up to him and I said, uh, "Do you need a case of beer? Please bring that backhoe down because I've got this massive amount of water building at the back oh, of the right. behind the theater behind the stage." So he came down and he he dug, and so all the water from that side at least would go that way, and I. Next day, I brought him a case of beer, and, uh, and I remember Nan Shepard with a uh, sheet of plywood standing on the ziggurat, on the first level of ziggurat, taking the water that was coming, you know, that catch basins under yeah, the gardener, yeah, yeah. so they were just filling up and then just dumping water, and she would they would stand there so that the water hit the plywood right. and went away from the stage, and we would dig trenches down the side to keep the water away from the dimmers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is that's the best experience I've ever had but by the time we actually got the show up it was it, it looked good it felt good it was really an interesting experience nobody who came to that didn't feel um, uh, like it was uh, anything they'd seen before uh, that's fantastic I'm so glad you remember <laughs> that weird. I can't imagine I knew her, and she was wearing all yellow rain gear too <laughs> <laughs> with a big sheet of, with a big sheet of plywood. I'm going to remind her of that day one day next time I see her. That's terrific. Okay. So uh, so that was in between, that was before you went to Passamari. Uh That was, uh, Oedipus was 94. So I had been at Passamari just a year. Yeah. yeah. And what was it like being there in the early 90s? It was still doing well. Like it was still. Oh, it was, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Again, the next level of learning experience for me to come from the poor Alex where it was small companies coming in and doing what they could to a company producing their own work, rehearsing in the venue, building in the venue, um, and, you know, very much like what Daniel did, but a, a different feel to it. You can't really compare the two. But, um, you know, we would we would build the set at night and they would rehearse on it during the day. And there's something infinitely interesting about that. And again, bigger space, bigger sets, bigger... We, we moved the seating around... All the time. This is before, yeah. uh, I remember Steve Lucas came in in the late nineties and he started fixing it. They had like a, a unit set for the, yeah. for the year, that's but this right. was before that. The Persini, that's right. I remember that Persini. Yeah. yeah. And they turned everything sideways. Yeah. But, uh, you can, you can hear that on the title block on the Steve Lucas episode. Yeah. Um, but, uh, who was the, the AD at that time? Or the... Uh, Susan Saran. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The whole time I was there, yeah. David Bale was the GM. Yacoba Kanapin was, was there. Oh, yeah. And, um, Lots of people in and out of that. A lot of great people in and out of that uh, space at the time. And um, it was before they rebuilt the, 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 the renovations they had now before they rebuilt the grid. So it was all kind of up there and funky. And dangerous. Yeah. We didn't think it was dangerous at the time. No, no. But now you go, how the hell did anybody <laughs> not die? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember people carrying two, one lamp in each hand. And walking up the cat down the catwalk and then stepping over the guy where catwalk yeah. stepping over the guy and then you lean out to get a like a rib bruise from right. leaning out. <laughs> no, yeah. Fall arrest. Yeah. Um, no, I, no, 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 fall arrest. We're not, we're not going to fall. Why would we want to arrest? Well, yeah, I'm lying down on the catwalk. Exactly. Where am I going to go? Exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> what were you designing? You were designing there as well. Yeah. How yeah. many shows a yeah. year would you get, or was it? Uh, um, it vary. It would. It would vary. It would vary. I guess. Uh, the season of the Passamari season, I would maybe do a couple. 
and then but there'd be rentals as well and so i would pick up some rentals i you know i i i would do most of my work was was pm and in those in those early years and only after uh i, I could equal my work in lighting design as i was equaling in pm did i start to to consider that i couldn't carry that on but but maybe eight to ten shows a year i could i could light on top of my top job of wow. yeah well, that's impressive onto itself i mean Doing ten or doing fifteen or eighteen shows a year is probably the limit. I think that most, depending on the size yeah, of the show, yeah. But uh, to do ten or twelve shows a year plus yeah. PMing is pretty incredible. Um, anything that you remember that was uh, that was really important to you during that time? Like any, you were still working with uh, the folks you'd met at Poor Alex, and they were starting yeah. to break out. Yep. Yeah. Yep. The products didn't really had sort of started to wind down. Yeah. After I, after I left. Be, not because, but after, and uh, and but they would become they would rent the venue a lot. So I'd see them, I'd see them a lot, a lot of great, not not so great shows, but also a lot of great shows and a lot, you know, the things like uh, Hiller Latoya doing his yes. um, show in the in the backspace, which I didn't design or PM, but I was there as uh, as the PM of the venue, and I, you know, that kind of experience I don't think I'll ever I'll ever see again. Mm-hmm. It was hard, but unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And I don't, maybe I'm sure somebody will do something, you know, like that again. But at that, at that time, uh, when people were suffering from AIDS and to see your community react to it in such interesting ways in a theater that had had such a strong history of, of um, community, mm-hmm. it was a, for some moments, for many, many moments, it was an unbelievable place to be. Uh, I think we spoke with Steve about that Hilla Latoya show as well. I think he did a that show. Stuff. What was the show? Um, I'll look it Ken, up. With Ken. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know why I can't remember the show. but It's it okay. You know, yeah. I think I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. And I and I, I think we spoke about it with, with uh, Steve and his yeah. lighting score that he made out of blood. Yeah. Spoke about we took yeah. a picture of it on the yeah. website. It was crazy. Well, that's great. No, it's a pretty... Uh, it's all, yeah. it, I also, it also seems to me that the last kind of moment where you could get away with stuff yeah. you get away with doing crazy stuff that we yeah. didn't think i mean now we look at it and go why would you ever do it that way that's dangerous i remember hill toya's house lights sort of stayed in the backspace forever right right yeah uh, and yeah. they were there for right. 10 years uh i think they probably are still there <laughs> could be <laughs> last christopher <laughs> ross about that um but uh yeah it seems like after that there uh, it was probably started with the with the with the unfortunate death of the stagehand down at Sky um, Skydome. People started thinking about safety a bit mm-hmm, more, mm-hmm. going hmm, and then all of a sudden everything became. Everyone yeah. started looking sideways at what what have we been doing for the last yeah. twenty years? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's time we grow up. But then you also lost a certain immediacy of the work as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot in there's a lot in that, and uh, it's just in the end, it's just a job. Mm-hmm. And so what we do now is actually for anybody who's in their 20s, it's just, it should just be part of the way they think. For somebody like like us, it's part of how we have to change the way we think. It's the same, it's, in some ways it's the same responsibility, uh, same as uh, conversation as being eco-responsible, right? Somebody in their 20s are like, oh yeah, that's how I do that. They're like, oh, I have to actually rethink how I work. That's right because I've never worked that way and to not 
to not train anybody without there being a, a solid base in, in health and safety, you can't do that. You have to do it that way now, right? So you have to actually rethink. And at that, but that that time, you're right. Go up a ladder, no problem. Like that extension ladder at Passam Ride to go up into the dead zone. Holy mackerel. What an unbelievably massive big ladder up into, what are you going up? It's an 18-foot grid, I think. Or a... Well, th- that, from the ground... Uh, it's it's 25, 26, 30 feet or something to that dead zone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just going up an extension ladder. Well, in factory, did the same thing. I remember hauling those fact those those extension ladders in factory. Yeah, which I think they probably still do. I Think they do. But now this 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 ladder was bigger and heavier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and higher. <laughs> bigger. I don't know how many times I did. I didn't like doing it, but we did it. No. <clears throat> yeah, and building audience risers over, building moving seating that went right up to the to the balcony level and so you're building knee walls and you're an old it was a metal metal riser system but still old key clamp and yes. with pins and I think it so, <laughs> takes so much time yeah exactly yeah. interesting so then you uh you got back with your old fringe buddy roger west back at the tarragon that was your next gig right you left past Mariah and went to the tarragon or did you have a year yeah roger wasn't there at that time oh he wasn't no um I know you were working with Nathaniel at some point. Nathaniel just started. He think we started. He started just before me. Oh, really? Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So Roger had left. Yeah, I did four years at Passamari, and then um, and then had a lunch meeting with Urjo and Mallory, and was offered uh, uh, was offered the PM yeah. gig at Tarragon. I think it was around it was around the same time that Nathaniel started. And that would have been ninety six, ninety seven, probably. Checking my memory bank. Ninety seven. You're so good. You're so good. I got it all in my head sometimes. <laughs> uh, so 97. Um, well, that's great. And then, so that seems like a logical move. Like, why wouldn't they do that? Given yeah. your history. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they had lost, who was there before you? Uh, David Hoekstra. Oh, that's right. Yeah. David Hoekstra. Yeah. Right. And then you got, and you got replaced him. So yeah. uh, tell me about that. Like, uh, first of all, Urjo is no longer with us. He died yeah. in two. I don't remember early two thousands. Yeah, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he'd been instrumental in. He'd been. He wasn't. A, I don't remember the history of when he came to Tarragon, but uh, he was pretty. He was a pretty monumental figure. Like monumental. He was, yeah. He the Tarragon and Urjo were, were synonymous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about that lunch meeting. How did that go? I mean, they just say, "Of course you're coming to Tarragon." Urjo like, had mussels and fries. <laughs> I have no idea what I, I can't remember what I ate, nor can I remember what Mallory ate. <laughs> I, I don't know why I remember Joe eating mussels and fries. I remember him dipping the fries in the mussel sauce. Strange, the things we remember. Um, it really was a, just an interesting, really simple conversation about values and need and what the right, if, if, if I felt like it felt like it was the right fit for me and for them. Had you had that conversation before? Like, I feel like from where you came from and then the past Mariah, that wouldn't have been a discussion. I mean, no. obviously, like, yeah. oh, you're no, come, please come work for us and yeah. let me look at your resume. But that seems like a more deeper conversation about what, yeah. how you can change or fit in. Or, yeah, yeah. I don't think, I, I don't remember interviewing for past Mariah, though. I suppose I did, but I don't remember that at all. But this was, and it wasn't even a formal interview. It really was just a conversation, which I liked about it. And, um, but sort of made it kind of easy. And a pretty good progression in, I mean, I don't want to say that Tarragon does better theater than Passamari. 
that's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They do different types of theater, different, different. audiences. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it was a different type of working environment yeah. at Tarragon, right? Yeah. Um, how would you compare the two at the time? Like, how, what was what was your what were you excited to do at the Tarragon that you couldn't do at Passamoria that you could you yeah. what could you learn there that you didn't? I, I was I was excited to learn uh, to. I mean, they both were working in new works, not not entirely, but I think what I was mostly excited about was uh, not having to work as hard. Right. I mean, at Passamoria, there were two of us, and we did everything. We were there all the time. I mean, that's this. The story of many, many people, uh, and you can. It's one of the reasons why I believe one of the reasons why it's such a great industry, but also it's not meant for everybody. And so you you buy into it or you don't, right? And I, I loved it. I loved it. There was something about the diligence and the and of the work that I really fed me. But you get tired, and so I wasn't burnt out, but I was tired, and so I I wanted, I needed to work at a more traditional style where there were more there was more support right. we had more staff and you 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 built shows in a slightly in a, in, a, in a different way there was i loved basmari i loved working that way but it's you can actually only do it that way for so long and how about design work? Because you were you had been working, you can't continue to work with Data Camera. Yep. Augusta Company had stopped. Yep. Uh, but uh, Data Camera kept producing um, Daniel McIver's works. Yeah. And you did a lot. I mean, you did most of his premieres, didn't you? I did a lot. I did. I did Here Lies Henry, the first incarnation of it. Um, I did a lot of buddies as well. Uh, a lot of buddies, and I was working also designing at Passmore as well as I was working there. A lot more theater Columbus, a lot of theater Columbus, yeah. all the Attic of the Pearls and Three Fine Girls, yeah. and um, their knee plays, yeah. and um, uh, Barbara Seville, like a lot of shows with them. Yeah. Almost every show I worked on, if not every show, from the moment I started working with them to uh, to when they sort of stopped producing this. this the volume of work that they that they were, uh, but with Daniel, uh, yeah, here lies Henry. A bunch of times actually, and think, think, think. Yeah, it goes up to the, it, when I was at Tarragon, the designated mortar we did together. Uh, I did. I sort of took over the design for Faust, and um, yeah, we did uh, Good Life. Yeah. I remember seeing all of those shows. Yeah. Uh, and they all had a very specific look, I think. Like, there was a lot of geometric yeah. patterns, a lot yeah. of very confined, constrained lighting, yeah. boxes, columns, very defined pathways. Yeah. Um, it, it, where did that come from? Was that, uh, it was obviously, a co- that came out of rehearsal, the way that he was working. But, yeah. w- like, what did it, um, how did it help tell the story? Like... It, it focused in on the story, and it, he dealt with the, the the sound was sort of the, along the same lines that there was a life to it. It was like another character on stage, and so there would be the the life of the sound and the life of the the lights and the shape of the lights that would provide, um, uh, and the way they moved would provide a, sort of a sense of another character of a, of a movement, a sort of a visceral movement through the play. And um, for sure, that's that's Daniel driven. Um, he not always there are, there are there's lots that we that. He, we've done together that isn't that but when he's building a a lot with with mciver um and especially if it's a mciver one-man show it makes it makes sense to to place him within a, a shifting landscape in the, in that way and we also did um 
a lot of uh, we did um, Half Life that way as well, yeah, yeah. and Possible Worlds. And this was the this was the Daniel Brooks Possible Worlds because it had been yeah. a, a different one. This is John Mighton playing. That John right? Mighton. Yeah, there was one at Canadian Stage before. Yeah, before uh, before Daniel did it, uh, we did it. Pass Ryan the backspace. Right, right, right. Yeah, with thirty five lamps. Right. And then we toured it. With maybe 40 lamps. Right. <laughs> I don't know what else to add, Daniel. Like, well, we don't have to add anything. It's like, okay, well, maybe I'll add a light over here. Uh, maybe curtain warmers <laughs> for the larger venues. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Anything you can, else you can remember about that show? I think we talked about it with, because uh, I think that Steve, Steve, who did the set? I've talked to somebody about this already. This is terrible. That is I, it Julie? Or is it Steve? Oh, it was Julie. No, it was Julie. Julie. Yeah, yeah, it was Julie. Yeah, we, yeah, Julie Fox. Yeah. We talked about possible walls as well. And that uh, it was Julie. It was actually yeah. Julie and Michael Levine. Uh, Michael Levine was there for the initial conversations, wow. uh, and in the end, he didn't. Uh, it was Julie's design, but he remember him coming in and he'd be talking, and he would say, "We need to put uh, Ziploc bags of water on the on all the walls." And we need beans on the floor. We need like a sea of like a like a floor of beans. You just you're gonna walk around, and then he would come back the next day. That was a that's a bad idea. Forget the bean idea. We never did the water idea. But. What was I thinking? Why didn't you guys say no to me yesterday? That was an awful idea. It's just because Michael Levine is talking. Okay, like, yeah, what we'll, oh, that's a great idea, Michael. Well, how, how about raw pork? Terrible. We do raw pork everywhere. That's a great idea. What else do you want, Michael? I think it was beans. But he said, that would just be so noisy. <laughs> but I remember I'm also talking about little bags of water everywhere. Or him or Julie, I can't even know. Right. I just remember that idea. I was just like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> did you ever, uh, and I don't think I saw Possible Worlds, but did you ever miss a lusciousness that comes with kind of big, larger theater, like big, big washes? And like, it seems like that's not what you were doing. Not in that sense. No, yeah. not for those shows. Yeah. And no, I didn't miss it at all no, because we were, that's the, was the life of that play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, every conversation you have is about what is this? What is this play? What is the, how is the life? And what do we, how do we help it? How do we help tell that story? Right. And, and bigger spaces need more lights. Well, then how does that change the aesthetic? And we've done Half-Life in the small version, the Tarragon version, and then the big touring version on the big proscenium houses. Well, they're kind of the same, but different. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's great. Uh, anything else at Tarragon that, any other directors you were working with? Well, how about, um, uh, uh, Attic and the Pearls. And Attic th- and the Pearls and Three Fine Girls. That, didn't that tour as well? Yeah, it toured. We toured a lot of places with that. That was a big production. I love that show. Yeah, yeah I yeah. love that show. That was um, Lisa Palmer directed. It was Leah Cherniak, Martha Ross, and Anne-Marie McDonald in it. Just such a great group of women to be around. Was it, wasn't it written by Anne-Marie McDonald as well? Who was it written by? Uh, it's No, it's it's a collective. It's a collective. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, right, okay. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and he, what did it look like? Like I don't. I, it's such a long time ago. I can't Daniel remember. Daniel Lynn direct, um, designed it. It was a lot oh. of purple and purple. A lot of purple. A lot of purple. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of purple. And we would use it. And we did it at uh, Buddy's. We would use the trapdoor, and they would come up the trapdoor like they were coming up into the attic. Right. So that meant they had to run around the venue. So these they ran. Oh, they and Leah. God love her. Doesn't have a sense of direction that way. So she would run down and then somebody would have to be there. Stop here. Otherwise she would run right by the ladder up to the. She'd end up in the bar. Yeah. Awesome. That's embarrassing. Uh, now let's talk about buddies quickly. Cause you were one of the, you and Steve Lucas were, were the, um, uh, the consulting designers. Yeah. 
on the yep. move. Had you worked in the old buddy space down yep. on uh, where the hell it was in the George, East George, George Street? Street? Yeah. What was that like? I remember being there once, I think, before they moved. It was a, it was a black box space, like yeah, kind of like right? the old theater center. Yeah, yeah, yeah. same feel to it. A lot, right. a lot of the similarities. Yeah. Right beside the actors' lab. Yeah, yeah, which I never was never in. Yeah. Again, that was yeah. just it closed right after I got yeah. to Toronto. Uh, so how was the, what was your take on the move to 12, 12 Alexander? That was the old team. Um, I thought it was an incredible TV. opportunity for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if in the end it was the right choice for Steve and I to be the only consultants or, uh, I think we had a good time. I think we did the best we could. Sure. And, but I think potentially I mean, what they wanted out of it was it for it to be, to come from the community right. and not to be. And not to be dictated on on these people who who know theater. There's a lot of theater consultants out there, and there are a lot of great theater consultants out there. But they wanted it more, sort of more homegrown than that. So um, I think that's how why they switched and why it became us. And we were um, I've worked with Steve for a long, long time, and we got along really well. And we had good differences of opinions, but we never we 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 could find a way to to come to come together on on choices and. What I, what I learned, I think the most from that experience is to, to not, to try not to judge venues Mm -hmm. and how they're built or decisions that are made. Like I, cause I do remember thinking we had so many conversations and you make this choice or that choice or this choice, you have this conversation, that conversation, this conversation, and you come to the best of all of the conversations, right? Well, and five years later, people are like, well, why did you only, why is it only that? And why did you get this? And what is the booth? It's like, well, you, the conversations were had. There were good conversations. There were smart people in the room talking about things. There was an artistic director who had a vision and you're not going to just ignore that and say, oh no, this is better. In five years, you'll realize that. Um, And so, but I, what I, the takeaway from the biggest takeaway for me was to, to try not to judge. You know, and to, and to, to enjoy the fact that it, somebody built a new theater. Well, this is the thing. I mean, it was a big, yeah, it's a big venue. I mean, for a, for for an alternative alternative for smaller kind of independent theater. Um, I was there on the first season. I did the Bathory and foreplay. Yeah, and uh, wow, like the, there was lots of gear. Yeah. Lots of new, all yeah. of, all yeah. like not new. Not a lot of funnels. power though. Not a lot of power. No, you had to kind of <laughs> ration, ration your dimmers and your tippers. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was a big, it was, uh, uh, lots of different ways that it was yeah. to be configurable. I know that after a while moving those damn riches around became a big pain in the ass, but. Well, yeah. And the two, is, and the two sections of the catwalk that, that were intended to, to be raised and lowered, raised and lowered, raised right, and lowered, yeah. which in the end, I think they always stay up now. I don't yeah. think they ever go come back down, but no. it was. The idea was there. The idea was interesting. Yeah. And we used, I remember we used the trap and we used the garage at the back yeah, yeah. and we used a hall. We used it in a lot of different ways to sort of figure out what was useful or not. Yeah. And well, that trap, that massive trap was, this guy wanted it to be able to be filled with water. Yeah. That was the initial. That's why it's so big. That's why everything kind of moved out of the way, the beams that moved out of the way and, and, and all of that, which I think Hoekstra had put, like designed and the structure of and put in, I think I'm, I'm, he had did a lot to, to do with the installation of things. So, um, but by the time he, the reality of it is, and the money that they had, well, as soon as you run circuits down there and then 
you know, any conduit, it's like, well, no longer is it possible for there to be a pool of water. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. We did, I think we did the bathroom. Uh, we had the pool water in the garage area, upstairs yeah. center. Yeah. Um, John Kelly, I think, built helped build the uh, pit as well. I remember yeah. him being involved yeah. in that kind of engineering. Yeah. John Kelly Cuthbertson is now at Stratford Festival. Yeah. Uh, well, that's great. Okay, so um, it sounds like you had a lot of great opportunities. It sounds like pretty logical progression too, right? Like poor Alex mm-hmm. uh, Fringe get to get your um, uh, kind of festival chops. Yeah. Uh, Pasmarai, large, independent, experimental-ish theater, yep. and then Tarragon, whoa, established theater for <laughs> theater for adults, yeah. right? <laughs> I'm not here 24 hours a day, yeah. right, working, yeah. right? Yeah. I have a staff, uh, wow. Wow, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then you're starting to do more, much more sophisticated kind of theater as well. Yeah. I mean, the Daniel Brooks and Daniel McCarver had kind of grown up as well. Yeah. Uh, anything else that was big, like, um, I mean, you were doing a lot of touring, which is awesome. But yeah. a lot of Toronto-centered stuff. You weren't yeah. working in the regionals. It no. was all stuff that came out of Toronto and went yeah. across the And that's because I had a full-time job. So I would, right, yeah. my, my design work would be in the, in that city. Mm-hmm. No, I, I did um, I did uh, Goodnight Desdemona at um, that Canadian stage with, uh, with Anne-Marie was in it. Oh, yeah. And Elisa right. directed it. That was, I think, one of my first big proscenium shows, if not my first. I'd have to look in the memory bank for specifics, but not to, not to worry about that so much. Uh, it was... What a great challenge and what a great show to work on, yeah. especially with Anne Marie in that in that role. Is this the premiere? This was not. No, this was uh, because that had been something that Glenn had actually designed uh-huh. and toured with in the early like was the early the early form. No, this was the the Elisa directed Anne Marie in version of it on the Bluma stage. Uh, yeah, yeah White Can stage. Right? Yeah, that's incredible. And what can um, do you remember much about it? Uh, I, I remember it. again, just an, what an incredible team. Yeah. The, the number of shows that I've done that I think that what a, what a privilege to be able to have worked with those people, people like Maria Popoff, who to this day is a special, special person in my life, right. As, uh, it's amazing. What an amazing person as a stage and a stage manager and, you know, directors like Charlotte Dean and Sula Page and yeah. on and on and on and on and on these yeah. people like this is that's a learning experience. Yeah, absolutely. Great. And so you finished your tenure another four years. Yeah. <laughs> four Everything years at Port Alex, four years <laughs> at, uh, Pas- at Pass Marai, yeah. four years at Tarragon. Yeah. And you end, you have to go, there's a little bit of a gap where you were just designing. Just, just designing. Design. I think that was for another four years. Oh, wow. Uh, like it was a good chunk of time because yeah. I had just finished um, the renovations at Tarragon. Right. And was pretty burnt out because yeah. that last my last year there I basically had three jobs of whatever I designed plus my PM work plus I was on renovation right. re- reno- trying to get that first show opened the first show that had white carpet and wh- <laughs> white oh carpet God. everywhere the first oh it's just thank you Sula Page um but we got it but it opened yeah. and uh and I just you know I, I love that place and I loved, I loved it there, yeah. but I was, uh, again, just kind of tired. I just needed a, yeah. a change of focus. And I had been working enough in design that I knew I could sustain a living off it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and then what, and then for the four years, so talk about some of the shows you did in those four years. Maybe well, in those four so it's going to, from 2001 on. So there's, and there's a lot, there's so, I just, I, was I just, say, you kind of have the opportunity just to do oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. designs, so yeah. you do everything, right? No, it was amazing. It was amazing. So after 2001, 
uh, shows like uh, well, The Shape of Things, like Canadian Stage, Kafka and Son, mm-hmm. Kafka and Son with uh, Elon. Oh, yeah. I love that show. Yeah. Loved it. Um, oh, I did. I did. And I started to work at Shaw as well. So that's right. when I, I did my first show at oh, Shaw. Right. Which one? What was that? Uh, old ladies. Uh-huh. Old in, ladies. And uh, George. In the George. Yeah. yeah. James McDonald. That was my. That was my first season there, and I did. I think I did four. Uh, four seasons after that, um, uh, and a bunch of stuff. I, I had gone back. I go back to Tarragon a lot to right. design, uh, a lot with with the. With Daniel, Richard Greenblatt, and people like that, mm-hmm. um, and some more stuff. Therac Twenty Five, I did at Factory with Jordan. Oh, yeah. Jordan uh, pedal directed it with Adam and Trish in it. Right. Yes. The, that version, which is kind of great, which is yeah, actually when I met uh, my partner. Right. The, she was the stage manager. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, before yeah. we leave that, though, I, I need to um, just dwell on Urjo for a little bit. So yeah. you worked with him for four years. Like, yeah. What did you take from his process and uh, the way that he ran his philosophy of running the theater? And You know, I, I think I just took a lot of inspiration from somebody who was just that smart. Yeah. I wasn't in the room a lot when he was talking about the work. That was a different room he was in. Uh, and so I was busy enough with my own. Yeah. But... When I had an, a question for him, his answers were always really inspiring and smart and exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. And I, he was, at the time, the memory of him uh, being sort of instrumental in in, in, um, in Kristen Thompson's show, the I, Claudia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that one of those, that's one of those experiences that I was just around for. I didn't design, I didn't, I just kind of was in the room for and and seeing him be so instrumental in design in in facilitating such strong work. I, I just found that really incredibly inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. I respected him greatly. Really. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Um, so anything else in those four years of design, independent design that you want to touch on before we Oh, there's a lot. It just goes on and on. Factory at factory. You went to the grand uh Lorraine Kimza I did um, in the freedom of dreams, I just go Phaedra at Soul Pepper with Daniel a lot with Daniel, right? Yeah, a lot with Daniel. Yeah, because Soul Pepper had started in the late nineties, yeah. right? Ninety nine, I think, yeah. was their first season. So um, I also started to work with Sohail Parsa, who is another big influence for me, and one of my certainly has given me some of the best experiences of my design world, my design life for sure. Uh, and how um, how is it different that experience, or how what, what did it teach you? Um, well, I, I think a lot of what the way I'd worked with Daniel had taught me a way the way I could work with Sohail because again, no, not no prescription, and yet not it's not total freedom. There is a conversation, but not even real. You don't sit and define each moment, right? You talk together, you work together too. And what I learned that I knew how to do is understand plays. I could watch rehearsal and understand what the play needed, just dramaturgically how to. How to provide space to that scene in my own way, right? It's not um, to my own to my own aesthetic, but I would do the stories from uh, the stories of reigns of uh, what's that? The whole title, the whole title is very complex. Stories from the reigns of love and death, mm-hmm. which we did in a little space that doesn't. Um, what's that one? It's on. It was on Portland. Portland. Or oh, it's something. Or uh, artwords. Uh, artwords. Artword. Yeah. yeah Artwords. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was, 
just sitting in rehearsal and talking and saying we could like we could do it this way and if there was a thing if there's a bulb can we swing it and can can I play it and I would just there was four scenes and I let each of the four scenes from different directions mm-hmm. different tones and he he just he goes with good ideas mm-hmm. and he and he changes the way he works based on the input mm-hmm. of others right. Daniel doesn't work that way right you you go with Daniel and yeah, yeah. and you you, you you don't you don't get uh, put these ten things and do these ten things, yeah. but what you bring with Daniel is I have to think of everything that could possibly work in this piece. I have to put it in the air so that we can play, yeah. and that he can see and we can discover together. And with Sohail, it's kind of like I need to actually let him know what I think, and he's going to say yes, that's great. I'm going to, no, no, let's define the scene that way, and he would take it and and bring it right into the work with the actors. Yeah. Um, so it was a different kind of a collaboration. Uh, Had you been used to that? It sounds like, I mean, that could get you into... Uh, <laughs> understanding how you're describing Daniel works, That's there's a certain security, because you're going to really figure out what all the problems are and yeah. solve them really quite early. Find out what doesn't work really early. Yeah. Uh, he's very clear. When yeah. He's, yeah, he's very clear, and you don't stick with something that uh, is not working. Right. You don't go, okay, well, can I try it again tomorrow? No. You think of something else. It's done. Yeah. Uh, but with Sohail, it sounds like, like, was there a bit of apprehension where you go, oh, let's do this idea, and then go, all right, and they run with it, and you go, whoa, hold on a second, we haven't, like, what if that idea's wrong? What if I've made a mistake? Yeah, no, because you know? he's smart, man. He's yeah. not going to, if he, but he's also so uh, trusting right. and generous, right. incredibly generous. Yeah. And his, to the point where it's, no, this is, this is what you're bringing to the room. And we're gonna we're gonna play with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it's not working, he'll he you know he's he's not uh, he's no fool. He'll he'll say something, but he's yeah. he really has space for everybody in the room. Real space. That's so generous. Um, has at this time, did you ever have any issues with the shrinking kind of rehearsal time people had? Like, mm-hmm. I guess in the early two thousands when we had SARS. And yeah. all those things that sort of caused Canadian theater kind of crash a little bit, plus yeah. the recession. Um, the way that you're working sounds pretty dependent on being around yeah. to make those discoveries. Did, yeah. you, did you feel any kind of hit after things shrank a little bit? I don't bit think or? so. I think no. I, had, I, had, I, had, I had been at a certain point where I, I, I knew a process. Yeah. I understood a process. And I, can, and I could... Uh, and I could tap into something pretty fast yeah. in a rehearsal period process, and I knew most of the venues really well, and I, so uh, I didn't I didn't suffer so much from the shortened rehearsals. I think many of the the shows I worked on could have been would have been better, yeah. um, but that's uh, I think we all feel that right. Yeah, that's just the nature of the business. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so you come out of this period of four years and you land at Necessary Angel. Um, Richard had gone to Richard Rose, who ran this. It was Richard Rose's company, Necessary Angel, yep, right? That's right. And he left and went to the Tarragon after Ergo yeah, yeah. had uh, passed on. And Daniel Brooks took over at Necessary Angel. And then you went yeah. there as their tour manager, production manager, yep. to sort of make things go. Um, that seems yeah. like, I mean, to leave an established, well, not necessarily it wasn't established, but they, they didn't have a space. Like they were they nope. were a rental company, an independent company. Yeah. Um, yeah. What 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 was an opportunity like? What opportunity were you taking there? Was it the touring? Was it Daniel? Was it sort of a just another PM? It was PM a lot to do with Daniel. I really just wanted 
I, again, I just needed a, an, another little shift, a little bit more. When I was freelancing, I would freelance lighting and production manage. Right. And and again, I, it, the idea of freelance production management is great and only sustainable for a certain period of time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and yet I was also loving the lighting design and yeah. being able to do that. But again, it's just a, trying something different, wanting to tour a bit more yeah. and uh, get that and see different theaters and, and be able to go. I think at that time we even knew we were going to go to Australia and right. take Half-Life there. And so the, that for me was, they needed a tour manager yeah. and I needed a slightly different, slightly, slightly different work habit and change yeah. of pace. Yeah. It's certainly different. Like going from a, like a production manager of a venue to a tour manager is yeah. a bit of a, that's yeah. a totally different challenge, yeah. different puzzle to work yeah. with. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So, um, anything at, you were still designing, well, obviously you were doing Half-Life, you were doing other kind of books. I did a lot at that period. I was doing yeah. a lot. From, from eight to 10 when I was at uh, Tarragon, I would do a 15 to 18 shows a year. Right, right, right. Uh, what you, you get, I mean, I guess as a lighting designer, that also speaks to your efficiency and knowledge, right? You sort of know how to solve all the major problems. And uh, it can be become much more efficient at sort of jamming things together. To yeah, be like, I have yeah. To be here for that, I don't have to be here for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. quicker. You're quicker, and that's the experience gets you a little bit more speed, but also the ability to. I I, I hoped I kept doing shows that also taught me something new. That was my wish. Yeah. I don't think every show was brilliant for sure, uh, but there were a lot that taught me a lot of things. And again, privileged to work with a lot of great people. Fantastic. And then, so you spent another four years as Sarah Angel? Yeah, I think four or five, up until 2011, right. I was there. Yeah. And then you land finally at NTS yeah. as the director of production. Director of production uh, in on the English section. On the English section, yeah. okay. Director of the production program. Right. English section. Excellent. So we'll talk <laughs> about that a lot. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back in a second to talk about process, uh, but we'll talk about NTS after that, because that's where we're we're going to finish on. So we'll take a little break. Great. Awesome. Hey there. Yes. I I know the interview is going really well, but before you skip ahead, just shuffle over to the show notes, if you could, and click on the link to the Patreon page for the title block. It does cost money to produce this time capsule of Canadian theater design history. And for a couple of bucks an episode, you can ensure that I can continue to put out a great interview with designers like Andrea Lundy. Go to patreon.com slash the title block podcast and donate now. Thank you for your help. And we're back. All right. So, uh, Setting NTS aside for a second, let's just talk about your process. We're uh, generating ideas. And now it sounds like we've talked a, a lot about your specific process with specific directors, but um, you didn't only work with those directors. You work with a lot yeah. of different people. Yeah. Um, where do you take your inspiration from? How did you how did you feel your taste was developing at this time and and uh, and how you communicated your ideas? Like what uh, can, can you give us sort of a an overview of how you approach yeah. a design and it's a, it's a bit all over the map mm-hmm. because I don't have, I actually don't have a formal education in design. Right. So all of my design knowledge has been developed over the course of a work period. Right. So in working in theaters of many different sizes with many different directors, with many different processes, with I, 
I think my, my strength has always been that I can work with a venue well, that I understand what to do and what not to do. Not always. Sometimes I mess it up. I, a couple of examples come to mind. Okay. Feel free to show. Side by side by Sondheim we did at the Bluma. Oh, God, And yeah. it was, uh, I think it was, it, was a, it wasn't fantastic. It wasn't, it was fine. Mm-hmm. But I think I lit it so horribly. Right. I think I did such a terrible job. That's okay. So did Richard Azunian. (laughs) But uh, that's life. That's, I mean, that's, you learn from those, from those as much as you learn from it, from everything else. But my, so my process has been, uh, no, I don't have a structure. I never, nobody said to me, this is the structure. This is how you do it. Uh, But what I got very good at was being in rehearsal, understanding the rhythm of a play mm-hmm. based on how it was being rehearsed. Right. I, I couldn't, I'm not even a great reader of plays. Right. I enjoy reading plays, but I enjoy reading them and I put them down. I think, okay, so now I need to yeah. see something. Yeah, yeah. Not even just, I need to go and talk to the, uh, the director and designer. Cause of course that is a necessary part of the process. Mm-hmm. And so that first visual of the set, that's, I need to see that first mm-hmm. and then start to understand what, what is the world? How does it shape? And then I need to, be in rehearsal and understand the way actors move the rhythm that's that is taking us from scene to scene how how to how to move through the play so i've always approached it dramaturgically and not i've never not storyboarding it's not i'm not doing that kind of work it's um maybe maybe if i had maybe now if i was starting out as a young designer i would maybe develop that process a bit more. But part of this fast and furious 15 shows a year is that you, you have to rely on your gut. And if your gut is strong and has proven before to you that you can actually get, uh, get work done that you're happy with, then you just kind of roll with that. right? Right. And, and yet as I gained experience, I was then also able to, for those directors who needed more of a standard process, let's talk through every scene, then I could say, okay, yeah, I can do that. Yeah. I can do that because I understand light and I understand a little bit more about how to talk about light. Mm-hmm. But I developed it while learning how to be a lighting designer. Right, right. Um, one thing that, um, one thing that I, uh, I grabbed onto early was uh, the mechanics of it, the phonometrics, the section, yeah. the math, the trig, like, or at least the, uh, you know, I wasn't actually doing trigonometry, but the, the kind of uh, uh, conceptual trigonometry, yeah. right? You, you know, thinking about a cone and how it operates in space. Yeah. Did you have any of that kind of, uh, or phonometrics and kind of the mechanics of how to build a wash Mm-hmm. And then field angle and beam angle and all that stuff. Was that something that you were aware of early on and that you used, no. or was it something you discovered in practice? I did discovered it in practice. Yeah. It's all it's all practice based. Yeah. My my knowledge of it. Yeah. I understand it now more, and I can talk about it. Yeah. I certainly can. I can. I can start to teach it. I'm I'm not the best teacher of even those things, right. but um, I and I and I try and teach to my strengths in the sense of I try and teach the understanding understanding the play. Go back to the play. What is What's the dramaturgy in your light? What are you? What is the the world of the play? And because I'm finding, I find it often that the rhythm and the shape of it is 
much more interesting than the perfectness of the photometrics and the. the per- I don't. I'm not even a big fan of psychs because I think, oh, whatever, there's a psych there. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll light the psych. But I really just want to light the actors. I want to. I want to. I want to stare at their faces. I want to understand how they exist. And what does that shaft of light do? And what is this color? How does this color shift? Um, and I think that's that works for some shows and some directors, not every show and not every director. And when I've, when I've struggled, it has been in the more traditional roles of, uh, of work in which, in which I know other designers are better at, where it's, you know, a beautiful sunny day and it's a long, a long process to, to night and what happens in the skyline behind. There are some designers who are unbelievable at that. That's not me. It's never been, it's not even so much an interest because I love watching that, but I just don't, my brain doesn't, doesn't think that way. I can adapt to it, but I don't love lighting that way. It's just not, it's just not me. And I think that's a valid, that's okay. There's so much room for different aesthetics to, to exist. And I, I'm just, I, I like things more bold. I like them kind of more of a, when, when it is about character, and you and have presence without taking over, obviously, but not to hide. Yeah. It's interesting. It's a completely different way. I didn't come to that kind of understanding until later, like the kind of sculptural understanding of yeah. light and how it um, how it tells a story. I mean, you t- you say, oh, the light tells a story, but you think about that in a naturalistic way, where yeah. it has a beginning, middle, and end, and it moves. Um, but uh, the kind of sculptural. It's a it's a completely different way of thinking about light, mm-hmm. and really interesting. Like it it could, it, may, it makes you come to different conclusions than other people would come to. Um, that's really fascinating. Did uh, when you are you do you know what it's gonna it's gonna look like before it hits the stage? Like do you go? I see this scene as X, and when you sort of build stuff, are you trying to match that vision in your head, or are you really just not letting that? Uh, dominate or um, dictate what you're going to do. It's never the same thing twice. I've worked on shows that I have tried very hard to duplicate a feel and a sense of a picture of a landscape. And I kind of loved that part of it as well, especially if you get there, right? And then other times, and many new shows with Daniels, I just, this, I see the space. I see sort of how he's starting to work. I understand... Uh, something so I'm just going to put everything up that I can think of everything that seems interesting that might have a place uh, within the structure of this play that I'll, I'm going to put it in and then we're just going to find it together right. and so that's there's no the planning is in just trying to imagine dream about as much as you could as you think fits within this world and put it there mm-hmm. uh, but that's a lot of that comes from working with Daniel mm-hmm. and having the courage to be able to kind of buy in that way to not know. Yeah. And Daniel's just, he doesn't know until he sees, until he experiences, right? And that's just who he is. And you're on, you, you, you enjoy that or you don't, you don't enjoy that in, in your director, right? And I, I learned to kind of feed off it. Yeah. That's terrific. Did you, um, uh, what about research? Like, for example, a couple of, now I, I trained under Sean Bilgoy, who's very hmm. mathematically, like we, mm-hmm. he took out this, the, the chromaticity diagrams, the CIE diagram, <laughs> and we had to understand how colors all, which mathematically and from an engineering perspective 
once you sort of understand it, it really is illustrative. But if you don't even have a brain for yeah. that, you go, why am I looking at this damn thing? Yeah. Yeah. And where does like where does color temperature fit in and how does yeah. it fit into chromaticity? Um, and photometrics. And uh, we would take a we would take a paint, we do the postcard trick where you take a postcard and yeah. then make it three dimensional and light it. Uh, and that's a whole different that kind of repetition mm -hmm. or theft or reproduction of another image mm -hmm. doesn't seem what you're doing at all. This is a whole different process, right? For me, but that's, it was my process yeah. started at a time when it was possible to work that way right. and possible to learn that way. Right. So I was given opportunity and afforded the time to develop that process right. and working with people who were generous in allowing me the time to learn that way. Right. I don't think that's necessarily the landscape now. I, I think you do need to study what it is you're doing yeah. before anybody's going to ask you to actually do it so that you can be given the opportunity to learn more about it. Right. Uh, you know, this is, this is in the eighties and then in the nineties when there was a lot of work, but not a lot of people like it was the community was smaller. Right. Yeah. So we all moved around a lot more and you just, your opportunities were different. Like, I don't think if I was starting today that I would have the same career at all. Mm -hmm. And if I certainly thought I could do it the same way, I would probably be very disappointed. Right. So I'm, I'm not going to call myself lucky. I'm just going to call myself old <laughs> and say, you know, that's the, that's the landscape of the community that I, that I worked in. Yeah. And it's a different landscape now. Yeah. Uh, did you, uh, is it, we're going to get to NTS in a second, but it seems like um, coming out of the drama program at U of T, where it's not a studio-based program, no. um, I was in a bunch of hybrid at Ryerson, where it's kind of a little bit both. There's a lot of practical work, but there's also, it wasn't academic necessarily, although you did have that kind of portion. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't go through a studio program um, exclusively. Uh now that you've landed at NTS, you must see, like, I guess you're just trying to, you're trying to replicate. It seems like it's trying to replicate what you did found on your own after you came out of U of T. Like you were looking to develop your mm -hmm. skills in the real space and trying to make those decisions that you'd never had a chance to make before yeah. on paper. Right. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. So uh, anything what about, uh, do you do any research? you'd like to do research for like this play is about you know we're gonna take picasso's blue period and we're gonna use that in inspiration or we're gonna use this piece of music does that ever inform your process or is that yeah totally yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure and 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 watching uh resource material that's that's that is relevant uh absolutely it, it does and and just having worked with peter hinton as well on a really interesting piece that way you kind of you, you have to look at yeah he does he he's so such a smart man you think oh i better look at a I do I have to have some research under me so that I can keep up, <laughs> just start with keep up, let alone um, uh, get to the point where you feel like you're an equal partner or, or helpful. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, for sure I do. I don't shirk it. I don't, I don't, it's not, I, I try not to fly by the seat of my pants. I don't like that. It's not comfortable for me. Um, so some of it's relying on a, a level of experience and some of it's relying on being able to really, um, enjoy and get a lot of information from rehearsal and then some of it's being able to to research the material that is offered up as as relevant yeah. excellent i uh how about your relation with the director just in general i mean 
the uh, do you do you consider yourself an artist or an artisan or mm-hmm. an auteur or a, a collaborator? Right, a collaborative artist. Right, I would say, for the most part, because it's not none of the choices really are mine. Yeah. They I don't own them. Yeah. I can bring them to the room, and we can buy in or not as a as a collective. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm different now than when I was twenty. That's for sure, yeah. because. When you're in your twenties, there's a lot of ego, and that's not saying I'm not saying that's a that's not a bad thing. I think that's sometimes just the way we go about the world is yeah. our ego feeds a lot of our conversation. And so I think I said no a lot more as a designer. It's like no, I'm not, no, no, not that. I'm going to do this instead. <laughs> and at a certain point, he just went, well, that's really it seems not great. <laughs> Maybe if I said yes more and listened more. Maybe we'd find better yeah. solutions and better ideas. So I, I did. I remember making concerted efforts to just try and get my ego out of the conversation, yeah. and it, and I and I could recognize that it was much more fruitful conversation, yeah. way more interesting work, yeah. and much more true to what was actually on stage. And that was so much more yeah. um, to 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 feed me than being right. That's a that's a hard lesson. Yeah, it's a hard lesson to get out of the way of the work, and to um, not feel like you have to own every idea. Um, I still remember uh, when mistakes, when happy mistakes happen, and, and it becomes out of preparation. It comes out of understanding the work, and there's an mm-hmm. intu- intuition that you know you might do something at the play you might need, or you want to have something in your back pocket that you yeah. might need just in case. And these happy mistakes happen. I always felt like. Oh, I'm so glad that happened. And you go, yeah. oh, it's not really my. I feel kind of bad because I didn't expect it. Yeah. Like I haven't done my job because it was unexpected. Well, no, that's that's good. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. Like it's a great thing to have happen to you, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And to yeah. be open to that, yeah. being that's part of that's part of a process. Yeah, exactly. It's just not something you can write on paper as the thing that you're going to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. So, how do you teach that? <laughs> well, wow. let's land at NTS. So, how did you get the job at NTS, and uh, why did you like? It seems like I mean, it seems like a logical. Like again, looking at the big picture, you go, well, of course, uh, you would end up there. But who came? Uh, I as a Ryerson grad, uh, we spoke about this when we talked yesterday. I didn't. NTS was not on my radar when I was going to school. Mm-hmm. Um, Me either. And uh, didn't, uh, yeah. I didn't really understand it existed. But uh, who was there before? Um, tell me about a little bit of the history leading up to mm-hmm. getting hired and, and how did that happen? Sure. Uh, Norbert's, um, uh, had, it's a, it's a man named Norbert's had run the program for many, many years. Yeah. And when he left, um, Leslie McMillan and, uh, Michelin Chevrier ran it for two years. So they kind of ran it together and they changed the ecology of it a bit and they invited a lot more, um, uh, artists into work as coaches and, and they kind of changed uh, the ecology of how things were taught there. And so that's when I actually start. I started coaching there and teaching there right. when, when, when they were there and I, and I learned much more about it. I didn't really know very much about it either. Although I knew people who had gone through the program at, by that point for sure. And then, um, when they decided to leave, that job was, 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 uh, offered, and was on well was open, and uh, some people had mentioned that I should apply for it, and it's like I talked to Michelin and Leslie about it actually, and I just thought, well, not, I'm not really ready for that. Yeah. 
it was, uh, what was it, 2008, I think, 2008, 2009, something like that. And I was with Nessar Angel. I was really having a great time. It was good work. I enjoyed it. And um, Peter Roberts was in that, stepped in that role for the, for the three years after that. And so it had gone through very, three very, very different periods of uh, di- very different directors had, had been running it. And um, uh, he decided to retire, and it came up again in 2011. And I wasn't really, I wasn't having a great year. There was some good stuff going on, but I was, you know, we'd just done two, we were doing two massive shows as part of Luminato, um, and um, Andromac and um, Tukamel. And so that I was in that process, trying to get these ma- like massive shows. I was lighting both, right. and they were one was at the theater center, torn apart theater center that yeah. we just made our own space, and and then this other one was on the Bloom stage with fifty women, and oh. yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a big, it was a very very complex time for me, yeah. uh, and I but I just come off some shows that I was kind of not feeling that great about, and. And, but I still wasn't on my radar. And I, I remember, and I'll, you know, be indebted to him for this day, but Chris Abraham called me and said, you, you need to consider this. And, uh, and I, you know, I worked a lot with him. We'd done a lot of shows together and some stuff with Daniel and stuff, uh, just, uh, just with Chris. And I thought, okay, well, I need to listen to him. So um, Catherine and I talked about it because it's in Montreal. She had just started at the Fringe. Uh, and it wasn't really, she had just started. She really wanted to to do that job, at least for three years. Right. So I totally understood, my, and my daughter was two at the time. But what I really, I think I was searching for was more steady work so that I could have a, a different kind of home life than just always trying to, trying to work and then worrying about uh, what's coming up in January. And, you know, family changes things yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And I was feeling of somewhat disillusioned in, this, in the work that I had been maybe a part of, but also watching, seeing, and a bit more disillusioned about the quality of some of the people I was working with. Right. There's some, not even so much, not personally, mm. just, I just thought it could be better. Right. Uh, and so the consideration for me was that, well, maybe this is an opportunity for me to do something about that, to help uh, a generation of people sort of grow up and have some of the some of the values that I think the industry deserves and um, it will be all be better off if there are more people around like that yeah. and so I, I, I applied and really worked hard on that application actually I studied a lot for it I rewrote my resume very have a very complex professional resume now and uh, and, and went to the interview. They flew me into the interview like the day after we loaded in Andrew Mack. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go for the interview. And they flew me back the same day. <laughs> um, and and Simon called me the next day and offered it to me and gave me the weekend to think about it. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting conversation about values, too, because I don't think we talk about... I mean, I guess at educators, it's an important concept of that, but we don't really talk about the values that we hold as artists as well in yeah. theater and what we want to, not just what we want to put on stage, but how we work and how, and yeah. with whom we work and the important thing, we, the things that we think is important to be as a theater artist. Like yeah. what is, what makes a good theater artist? What values? Is it economy? Is it, um, is it a, an unwilling, like a willingness 
I mean, in a business that is so compromise heavy, like what, what's your limit of compromise? Yeah, and, yeah. Um, I don't think that we talk enough about that. I don't think we talk about the technical stuff. Like, yeah. do you know, do you know how to build a flat? Yeah. Do you know how to, you know, set up a mechanless three point lighting? Do you yeah. know how to, um, you know, record blocking? Do you know how to make yeah. a process? But we don't talk about what the values that underlie that are and why yeah. they're important. Or the process of teaching skill set and also values and also being able to communicate and also being able to listen. Right. Yeah. There's a lot. There's, and for me, that's the role of NTS. Is uh, I and I look at it this way, and I have developed. I mean, I've never been there six years now, and the more I'm there, the more I really believe in this. The the values. I mean, there are sort of six values that I, I kind of think through as much as possible. And I actually give my graduates a bracelet. It says Team Lundy on it. Right, right. Little wrench, tiny little <laughs> wrench. But on the inside is is engraved C I C I D E R. Um, and it's uh, for cooperation, mm-hmm. interaction, mm-hmm. diligence, empathy, and rigor. Nice. And for me, I don't, I don't, I don't push those values. Like, hey, let's talk about diligence today. Right, right, right. It's it, that's it's a building of a long, slow building of a work ethic right, towards right. that, and the value to value patience above all, yeah. and empathy. Right. Always empathy. And if they if they under, start to understand those values, they kind of can do anything. Mm-hmm. And that f- has become for me what I want for the industry yeah. is to have people who are just, I mean, just good people. There are a lot of good people in the industry. Yeah. But um, I think we get stuck in in not understanding the work mm-hmm. and, and, under, and just wanting the perfection that we think is at the other end of it, mm-hmm. but not valuing the journey to it. Or the accolades, or yeah. the things that the parties yeah. and the community that gets built up. Yeah, yeah. So you teach any 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 of the six disciplines that 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 we're we're trying to instill in people, and it's like, well, you have to start somewhere, and you have to they have to have patience in order to develop it because it's not gonna it doesn't come overnight. There's a lot that doesn't come overnight. There is a there is a process to everything. Yeah. That's interesting. The other thing uh, it also touches on. Uh, one of the things that I discovered, I think, and this may have been just because I was in theater, and maybe everyone thinks this, but the ability of people to get a theater education, and you're the ones who are successful at it, uh, not the ones who are just technically successful, but the ones who are successful artisans and successful artists, are able to move into other disciplines quite easily. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. all the stage managers we know who make like terrific um, corporate uh, workers like yeah. like are able to project manage, which seems to be something that is held as a high standard in other yeah. industries, but that people do really poorly. Yeah, <laughs> like how yeah. many deadlines do you have to blow through before yeah. people call you a bad project manager? Well, apparently it's many, many. Yeah, uh, yeah. and it seems like I never thought that that maybe it's not the it's not the type of work that we're doing, but it's the values that underlie the it's work. The values, and that it's a deadline driven industry. Yeah. And that there's no, there's no wavering on that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no extra money. Yeah. Like you have the resources you have. Yeah. And we can't get you anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And people are coming on that day, by the way. Yeah. So get it done. Exactly. And so you have to have those other six values in order to well developed. All right. So, uh, how did the philosophy change? Like, 
besides this this values driven yeah. education, what was where was the program at when you came in, and what did you feel you had to do to change? Like, why did you mm-hmm. think it had to change, and what did yeah. you what did you how did you approach it? Uh, it was what had changed in the few years before me was that it had there was an outreach to people coming from across Canada to right. teach and work there. That that was a big change right. that started before me, but is was exceptional because right. it there aren't enough people in Montreal to teach everything right. in English right. that we really need to be teaching. And also the students there need to connect across the country with other right. uh, with other with professional working professionals. There is no faculty. Mm-hmm. There never has been a faculty. It's me trying to figure out who can teach that and when when it can happen and who's going to come to coach and who has the time to come. Uh, and I, I there's a there's a a few people who come up back a lot and then I try new 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 people here and there. So that's just me working with a formula that had been sort of uh, already shifted before I got there, but for a lot of good reason to that. When I started, I I I. I watched these three years work and I just first of all changed the conversation around uh, working in a school model and said we're not going to work that way anymore we're going to work in a professional model because you have to know how to work that way when you graduate the role our role is to make you employable in whatever form that that takes and uh, and so I threw out a lot of stuff that was, well, we do it here because it's this way. So I'm, well, we're not going to do it that way because that doesn't make any, right now it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to get you work in three months when you graduate, let alone in three years when you graduate. So we did, I did a lot of that shifting. And then I, I changed when I got, I went through the first, my first year and I, I said, I looked at the second year of study and I thought this is not nearly good enough. The second year should be. It should be really hard because there's a lot to learn. And what I, what I figured was that there's a good base of learning the technical knowledge, but there was a massive gap. And that's knowing the process of being able to do the work on stage. What, is that pro, what does that mean? So you can sit in a classroom and you can play on your, your labs and you can uh, understand how to manipulate something, but it doesn't mean you can go into rehearsal, talk to a director and understand how to make that into a design or make that um, a realizable, uh, how to realize those ideas. And it's, and there was a massive gap. And I sort of saw that while coaching that they were good at understanding how to plot a lamp, but then I don't know how to, don't know how to talk to the director. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't understand them. And I don't know how to, to achieve the ideas that I, that I have been asked for, or what they mean. And so that for me was the second year. Yeah. So I said, first year is knowledge, knowledge base, knowledge base. How much can we cram into your brain? <laughs> and the second year is process. Right. So I, my second year there, I changed it entirely. I changed the structure of their major project, their central project. I changed the whole year of study. I gave them intensives, intensives on lighting and sound and, and video and changed the, I just changed it entirely. And since then, I've kind of monitored a bit, and I and I changed one year. I changed the third year around a little bit, although there's a lot of strength already to the third year. And this year, in my going into my seventh year, I'm shifting around the first year because now I understand it a bit, much, much in a different way, and I see where I can take them, and uh, and now I can understand. It. I can make the first year stronger so that the process part of it in the second year will land will land better. 
Uh, and just to be clear, you are you're the positions that you're training people to understand are yeah. there's obviously a design disciplines. Yeah. Uh, are you are you uh, specializing in that? Or are you doing all all different types of design all at once? There's no specialization. Okay. There, there if some students show an aptitude towards one discipline, I'm, I'm certainly going to help them realize more skills in that because that's where they will be working. Yeah. But this is also how empathy is built, right? Everybody has to experience the work of others in some form or other. So everybody has to do a design. If you are a designer, you also have to be a, a manager somehow. Yeah. There's, a, there's a give and take in, in experiencing both those sides, right? Yeah. But we do, uh, within management, we're doing technical direction, right. stage management and production management. Right. How do you teach management? Well, that's freaking hard. Yeah. So, yeah. So I make it, some of the changes I make this year is to, are to try and make those three disciplines um, stronger. Yeah. The way that the curriculum around them stronger. It's interesting that in a lot of in many many other professions, you're learning a technical skill first, and management is something that you that you get. Yeah. You get training either you do your MBA, your MBA, and even the people who are MBAs don't start off as managers. They yeah. start off as interns and I don't know a lot about MBAs, but they're not, they're not, they're not born a CEO. They're yeah. not born, yeah. you know, so you, you still go through several steps, but, but even then, uh, in most of the professions, you're doing a job and then you get sort of promoted into management. Yeah. And here you're trying to create people who are thinking about management type yeah. positions, project management, like from the beginning. Well, I can tell you why yeah. specifically. I mean, certainly within the world of stage management, there are people who are self-identify and are stage managers. Yes. There are people who come to the school who say, I'm a stage manager. And I think, probably not, right. but that's okay. Yeah. You'll find out in three years who you really are. But it's a doorway to a lot of young people to discover, I not good. I'm not on, I shouldn't be on stage, but I should be backstage. Yeah. And somebody said to me, oh, you should be a stage manager. And that's why I, I picked on that. And th that's my thing. But yeah. Probably not. Maybe you're a TD, maybe you're a designer, maybe you're a PM. But that's okay. You'll, we'll help you figure that out. But there are some people who are, no, you, yes, you are a stage manager. Okay. And I think the real stage, uh, I'd say that, that, that stage managers are kind of, you can see them coming a mile away, the sure. real ones. Yeah. But then again, I, you know, I get surprised by somebody who's come from a totally different place and they stage manage in their third year and they do so, and they do a great job and, and they, and they go, I, this is what I want to do. And I think I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. Isn't that fun? Holy mackerel. That's fun. And then, uh, technical direction is more of that, the skill set of you, you, you have to build experience. I'm not, I'm not under the illusion that anybody coming out of the program will be a TD within the first five yeah. years of graduating. There's a lot more that they need to learn. It's such a hard job. Yeah. And they learn in their third year when they're doing it. They just they, sometimes they just get so overwhelmed with the, the enormity of it. Oh, yeah. So there's a lot more for them to experience before they can really do that, really do that work on a on a substantive basis. But with production management, uh, what had been happening is that it was it was being devalued as a as a career choice. I don't. And how many people do you know want to be a production manager? Well, that's a good point. A lot of people want to be like technicians think about the solving technical problems yeah. and not dealing with budgets and staff yeah. and the HR and the producer and all the other yeah. stuff. Cause I think it's boring with. and yeah. I think it's not artistic. And so I sort of taken on a challenge of teaching them that it's actually a great job yeah. and really artistic and really collaborative and really important. Mm -hmm. And so if I have that take on it, then that's why I, I, I think these are the kids who, hopefully will do it because they're coming at it with all this 
depth of experience in a bunch of different areas, which is which I, I believe makes a stronger PM, but with a respect for the job. It's interesting, which I say a lot. Uh, I had the same experience. Uh, I used to, just as a sidebar, I used to listen to um, uh, Bob McDonald on CBC, and he used to say, fascinating or something, a lot. I thought, Bob, why are you doing that? And I started doing this and going, wow, that's because it's easy to say that a lot. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so that is interesting. Um, uh, when I was at Ryerson, I had the same experience. But TDs were like the, do you want to be a TD? Yeah. And you have all this stuff in your head. I mean, you're not doing... We weren't doing the job as, a, as, as of a TD. There yeah. was still lots of, there was a big safety net, and right? Yeah. Uh, and we weren't doing construction drawings necessarily. But um, uh, but the PM job was not as valued as much, which is crazy because now, I mean, who hires a PM? Now, I mean, if you're if it's a small company, they're hiring a production manager. Yeah. They're very often not hiring a TD. Yeah. Those skills have, you have to bring with you as a production manager. Um, but in lar- like largely you have to have the budgeting and the knowledge and the ability to anticipate yeah. and understand the problem, yeah. which we didn't like that. I did not get understanding yeah. the problem yeah. is not something I got. Well, how many of us have really been thankful for the good PMs in our lives? Oh right? my God. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to say that. That's why I've done this and this. What do you mean? How'd you know I was going to, that was going to happen? <laughs> well, you know, when you started down this road, I went, Oh, here we go. You're going to run into this problem or yeah. we need the, the bigger thing or more of this, or I've got five crew yeah. people. You're going to need to fix your hand. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's incredible. Not so, that's really interesting. It's a great job. So that's my, I really kind of went, went into it thinking I'm going to help them understand that this is a viable career and really important, mm-hmm. really, really important to this industry. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so let's, those are the kind of different disciplines that you're mm-hmm. focusing on. Those are the management on, ones. Yeah. Management and then, and then it's lighting technology and design, yeah. sound technology and design, video technology and design. So there's six disciplines in three years. In three years. Wow. That's a lot of yeah. information to absorb. <laughs> and uh. video was added in my, in my first year there. Oh, yeah. We started it and we, we added more curriculum in my second year. That's when the curriculum started to be developed. Right. So it's a newest, it's the newest of the disciplines. Yeah. Uh, now, yesterday you shared with me just before we, talk about something else uh you talked about the conundrum you had about how you were going to teach people all the important non-technical bits like you can teach someone how to hang a light but how to communicate properly can you tell me how you about that story again and how you what you realized after being there for a few years uh yeah sure i mean what's what i my first two years there was uh a lot of me talking a lot and kind of pointing and saying, no, not that, this, and why would you do it that way? And let's try it. Let's talk about it this way. And there's, there is a way to approach this problem in a, in, in, um, a different way to the simple, even to the simple point of, no, that's not headset etiquette. Let's not talk like that. Let's talk like this. And I'm, uh, I'm pretty, I can be pretty strict (laughs) and, and to, and direct. And I don't take a lot of baloney, um, and I also would walk into the, I always, I always walk into the venue and maybe on the first day of load and the second day of load and then I always find some massive thing, not always, less now, but I would go, well, the set doesn't look, it looks like a little bit off because <laughs> it looks off. Did you put it in the right place? Ooh, uh, uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> well, let's move it six inches that way. Let's move it the foot that way. <laughs> you know how many times I have, I don't, I didn't tour a lot, but 
you get as a legislator, you go like, Where the, where's the center line? Where's the plaster line? This is the plaster line, right? And nobody else was like, I don't know, it's over there somewhere. Especially the director, right? Like, no, 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 this has to be the plaster line. Well, I thought we'd have it six feet. You can't move it a foot and a half upstage. Yeah. All the yeah. centers are going to be off. And the, uh, I find that just as I find that, like the the preciousness we have with the with the center center yeah. Yeah. and the plaster line as a lighting designer, nobody else really understands. No, I it's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So what my I was thought, oh my god, my I'm gonna have to repeat myself how many how am i going to do this job if all i can all i'm doing is just saying this is the way i want you to do it this is the way i want you to do it and here's why over and over and over again but what i discovered was that they they teach each other right so as the third years kind of develop a way of working that is interesting and viable collectively and challenging they they're learning how to listen they're learning how to have ideas defend ideas um, they're learning what professional etiquette is. They're learning how to talk to directors. They're learning how to work with directors in the room. Learn how to work with actors. Respect that work on stage, and 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 demand respect in return. And as they develop that, they they would teach it to the other years. Right? They're the ones saying, "No, we're not having that conversation on headset. That's inappropriate." And when you um, when you respond, I say. Standby light sound video. You say light sound video in that order, and that, I don't. I don't. I've never said that in four years. In the first years, I'm like, hey guys. First of all, call numbers. <laughs> I still say that, but call numbers and when you're saying standing by, you're standing by. Like you know, little things that just drive my brain crazy. But um, they teach each other now, and that, that's the that's the fun part. Is that, and that's the, I think the the ecology of change in some ways it's going to sound this doesn't sound like big ego time but it's a bit of an ecology of the changing industry where we are taking care of each other more even if it's somebody you've never worked with before that the conversation is you can just come into a conversation and have a mutual understanding of a way of working that is for the work what can we do today that was better than yesterday how is the conversation? How, and I say to them a lot, I said, you know, you write an email, you type, 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 send off a question, you get back an answer. Type, 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 question, get back an answer. And I say to them, you know, real conversation, one-to-one, sit in a room and talk to somebody is so much messier than that. And it should be. The messy conversations get us to better ideas, especially when we have the ability to listen and to to, to speak something that we may not think is a good idea. You know, go back to the beans on the floor, Michael Levine, beans on the floor, water on the wall, right? He's, it's going to, we're going to find the best answer together. But he had no, he had so much courage in just saying, this is my idea. And then to come back the next day going, that was a bad idea. <laughs> What's a better one? Let's, and that's, that for me is, it's, it's messier because it's not clean question, clean answer, right? But it's actually, more truthful and more interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. All right. So uh, I want to talk about some technical stuff as well. The uh, uh, change throughout um, the industry in the last 25, 30 years is like, it's been, the industry has changed a lot and it's not just because of the money or the economy or the, the, the way that we train people, uh, technologically, socially, the world has changed, social yeah. media, like the way we interact has changed. Yeah. Um, how do you see, like, what is your notion of, how, like, is, is, are things better now? Or what, what is different now than when you first started? Um, maybe technically, mm-hmm. maybe the way that we, you know, 
um, like like what LED technology, you know, how do you feel that that's going to change mm-hmm. the way they work? Or even if you want to take it in a direction of uh, just the way that theater is, like the creative endeavor of theater is structured. Um, do you have any thoughts about that? Or uh, yeah, sure. I mean, a lot of it's a lot of it's developing pedagogy for sure, because the the speed at which the technical industry is moving, it's not possible for schools to keep up. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. And you're and you're forced to make choices, just make choices. So I can choose between, I don't know, four or five viable video content producing, like content players. Right. Um, I, but I can't afford four or five. And I don't have time to teach four or five. So we pick one or we pick two. And we say, okay, first and second year, you use this one. And then the third year, you're going to move to this. You move to Isadora where you can do more complex. And this is why. And we've made this choice because I have to teach something well. I'm not going to teach 10 things okay. I'd rather teach two things as well as possible. And then you can take those skills and apply it to whatever other program you think is, you find more, more to your style. Um, but so you have to, you're forced to make choices. And a lot of that is the lighting technology video technology for sure because it has even in the five years that we've been teaching it it changes every year there's something that's we we have to buy new computers next year because the content that that the students are trying to put on is so massive that everything gets bogged down so quickly so um so there's there's that there's just keeping up with the technology in the sense of how not to you can't possibly have everything at the same all every year upgrade 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 but what you can teach are the are the core values of the work, right? So I'm not so worried about getting moving lights. I think I, I think we need to have more so that they can learn the technology, but I'm not so worried about them designing with it. Because mm-hmm. first of all, maybe it, they're not going to design with it until they really understand it mm-hmm. in whatever many years. Um, but it's, it, and it's a time meter, right? And students, we take twice as long to do anything. Yes. And then I add something that's going to take them even longer. Well, I have a problem yeah. with the learning process of the whole room. Yeah for one student trying to figure out one new technology. And I, and I have to be careful with that dynamic, but I mean, it's coming. We all have to go there Mm -hmm. within 10 years. We're going to be in a different place and we have to figure out how to get there together because we can't ignore it. Mm -hmm. We're all going to be using led leakos at some point, but it has to be for us. It has to be taught. I need them to understand how to light actors first like the actors, like the play, that's way more important right now yeah. than for you to figure out how to moving light can move from stage downstage left to down, upstage right yeah. in some sort of and track it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's being a technician. Yeah. Let's talk about let's talk about lighting actors on stage in a way that uh, is helpful to that to what the directors wants in this in these moments and 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 so it helps it's uh, makes the set look good and it makes the and helps the set kind of do what it's supposed to do as well. There's lots of different levels within that within that same conversation and within sound i mean it's the same thing right you uh you can how much complexity can there be to sound well they can be you can go a long way or you can just kind of say we're just gonna just come back and you know you don't have to hang 16 speakers but they always do it seems like it's always 16 it's never just eight no it's got to go to 16 maybe 12 but probably 16 but what's the content? Like, who cares? You can work on your system forever, yeah. but go back into rehearsal and figure out what your content is. 
because that's actually the stuff that matters. Yeah. What, you, what problems are you trying to solve first? Yeah. If you don't, if you're just trying to, well, this might happen and this might happen. Yeah. yeah but that hasn't happened. What is the, yeah, yeah. what is the problem you're trying to solve? And what we've done in terms of video and I, it's not my favorite decision, but it was a, I decided it was a necessity at some point that um, every third year production has video in it. And I was talking to Elisa Palmer, who's the artistic director, artistic director of the program. And when I said this to her, I said, you have to actually, we actually say to our directors, you have to work with video. Oh, yeah. Not because I think every show needs video. It's not me saying, oh, video's going to be everywhere. Yeah. It's me saying, I can't actually complete the curriculum until somebody is realizing the work yeah. on stage. Yeah. I can sit, they can sit in a classroom forever and they can be doing content to a piece of music, whatever that's, I can make them do that, but that's not, uh, that's not strong training. That's not a completion of training. So at least if I have people who will be able to take it the next level and might actually be video designers, Mm -hmm. then I have to give them projects to work on. So every third year production has to have a video design. Is there a danger? Uh, So I have, I have a bit of uh, I, we've talked about video a couple times. I've interviewed Beth Cates, and we had a we had a conversation about CITT with video a, a couple years ago, um, and I I left the business before video was. I mean, there was components, but it was always a pain in the behind, and uh, it changed the tenor. Was well, still is <laughs> time eater, yeah. Um, but it, it also <laughs> told a different story, and I I don't I didn't I don't understand what problem it was solving other than we want to have a dynamic set that we can't pay for mm-hmm. so let's replace it with video mm-hmm. and you go well mm-hmm. you don't understand that it just shifts the problem someplace else the cost is still the same yeah so, that was exactly my 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 feeling about it when i started it at ts yeah and i think what's what's helped me evolve that opinion is watching the francophone students work but also the francophone community work because they know how to use video and a much their work is just more visceral more um it's it's more striking more visual than and 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 anglophone work maybe is arguably more text-based and you know it's there it's different and yet i feel like they're sort of light years ahead of us in terms of being able to buy into projection as part of the world and so watching them work, watching them build on that as part of a design process, yeah. as an overall design process, has really taught me a lot yeah. and taught me the value of, of, um, of uh, keeping the curriculum as strong as possible right. and doing that work. And, and I do find it's, it's better. And I go now to Anglophone theater and I think we're, we're doing a better job. We're doing a better job and not making it about going to the movies, but about making it about a discovery of the world in a, within a different vocabulary. It is set design. Yes, exactly. And now uh, the, um, it seems to be that the, uh, the trick is integrating it into a three-dimensional sculpture as opposed to having it be a flat wall here or projecting mm-hmm. on the floor or projecting on the actor. And how do you feel, like, do you feel the technology is there to be able to do that effectively my my only concern was the way it was done in anglo theater is that you ended up sacrificing so many things mm-hmm. to make it happen lighting was always a sacrifice because of washout but now i mean you have video walls you have different yeah. elements that yeah. are yeah. much easier to light yeah. around um but uh, like how do you make three how do you make video fit into a three-dimensional sculpture is the question yeah. right yeah it's true well you first of all you don't hang a video screen right that's that's when it kind of becomes oh great we got a projecting on the screen that's up there, that's when it doesn't work for me, yeah. and yet still that's 
some of what we what the students do yeah. because sometimes it's the director who's never worked with video before, so it's kind of like, oh, we'll do this, and then uh, other times it's the it's the idea of the piece, what the piece is. But it's much more successful when you just find a way to project on the things that exist yeah. in that space. Yeah. Um, rear projection or front projection or something. The walls, the people, props, things, the floor. Yeah. That's when it becomes about um, uh, define, helping to define a world and not imposing on it. Yeah, yeah excellent. Uh, and the other danger I thought about, uh, I don't want to, like... Um, perpetuated no culture but i uh, the other like if you're asking directing students and creators to incorporate video mm -hmm. how much of that is going to define the way they work after they leave theater yeah you know what i say to them when they're not so comfortable with the with the choice i'm asking yeah. i'd say well you know you may never use video again but, but and you haven't used it very much before yeah. which is why you're not comfortable with yeah. what i'm asking you so it's a school. Yeah. So take the yeah. opportunity. Why don't you take the opportunity yeah. then to learn what can be done with it? Yeah. Maybe you'll find something you like and maybe you won't. Mm -hmm. Maybe it will just sort of, um, you know, make it clear to you why you don't like video. <clears throat> and so I think it's a valid, because it's a school, I can, it's so easy to say that. It's like, well, you can discover this as much as the student is discovering this, right? Yeah. It's interesting. And so it, uh, it also makes it more relevant, too, because you seem, uh, I get the sense that um, <clears throat> because uh, many other schools uh, in the tenure, in the way that's, that uh, academic uh, like universities are structured, um, the people who teach there and get sort of involved in academia are not don't leave theater behind, yeah. but they tend to, they tend to sort of stick with what they know yeah. and they're not really leading the field. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're, they're reacting to the trends that are happening yeah. out there, but they're not, they're not a part of the trend. Yeah. It sounds like NTS is really uh, a different, like these studio programs have a much different ability to respond. And, I can change on a dime. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have to go to anybody to say, can I change the curriculum? Yeah. I can just say, I'm going to do it differently next year yeah. and try something else. Yeah. That's a massive I, I don't think I ever really appreciated that until maybe, you know, my third year or something. It's like, wow, I can add all these classes that I know other people have to wait three or four years to get put into a university program for various reasons. I can, I can do it tomorrow if I want. Yeah, that's fantastic. And just to land on the end, um, we're about two hours in now, the, the, what do you think is going to be important? I mean, the, the, I love the discussion about the values. I think it's so important. Um, what do you think students are going to need and new artists are going to need to perform in the next 10 years? Like, what trends do you think people have to focus on? Like, I, like I think uh, well, a lot of times on the, on the show we've talked about, I've talked to designers at the beginning of Canadian theatre where they were trying the opportunities to learn about theatre and learn how learn the craft. Yeah. They had to sort of find out themselves. Yeah. And now we've come to the other end where uh, it's such a more sophisticated training process and people are thinking about the future, not just going, where can I do life drawing? Um, how do you do a set? Uh, you know, we're like co cobbling together their education. Where do you think the trends in education are going? What do you think students need to focus on? Are the basics still important? Uh, and how do you approach that in NTS? hundred percent. The, the, the core, the core functions of the basic training is key mm -hmm. more so now than, than ever in a way, because you can get distracted very easily. Uh, you can sit at your computer for three weeks or you can go into rehearsal. 
right? And 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 build the core value of just understanding, first of all, the conversation and how to have an opinion and be heard in that conversation and listening. I just can't, the number of times I say, just, you have to be active listening. What is active listening? How do you do it? How do you, how do you use it? How do you organize yourself? What is, what is the paperwork doing? How do you communicate ideas? How do you communicate a technical process? How do uh, there's things about that, that exists. I don't know. Maybe we all should be project managers, right? Maybe that's what we're all doing in the end, if we just say it's one thing, well, we're all trying to be a project manager in the sense of trying to communicate a complex process. Whether it's me giving over my lighting plot and paperwork so that it can be realized or, or me as a TD doing my drawings or me as a PM, what's the budget doing? What's the schedule? How can I, what's the schedule today? And what's going to happen tomorrow? And how can I shift it around? What's going to help this company? How do I make sure the actors get on stage when they need to? How do I get them as much time on stage as possible? Um, it, all that conversation is, 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 is really key, but so that's the core, those are the core functions. And I, I, I think we always have to teach those. Yes. And I feel like we have to monitor carefully when we tip into, okay, now we have to train now we have to make sure we're training LEDs because, of course, LEDs more than moving lights. That that the use of that, I think, is gonna we'll have to kind of take over. And I, I know I know there's lots of moving lights in the world, but it's just a different learning process, different conversation, and I don't know if I have enough time. <laughs> there's a lot to do. But my 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 dream, and I talked to this about. I say this to Gideon Arthur a few times. He's the CEO of the school. I say, this is what, we have a little parquet in the corner of the of the school. I said, well, that would be great. We should have the Tesla theater, the NTS Tesla theater. Everything is LED. Everything is battery powered. And wouldn't that be, now isn't that training for the future? Uh, and but uh, but And sometimes I think if we don't do it, who's going to? Because all of these theaters have, have bought into whatever t- technology they can afford, they're not going to be able to shift on a dime quickly and then also train at the same time. How do you learn all of that stuff at the same time that companies are trying to figure out how to afford all of that stuff? So that's, I would love nothing more than to be able to be at the forefront of that, but that takes a massive amount of money. And, you know, and using Google Glass for translation. Hey, wasn't, wouldn't that be amazing, right? Here's their, your Google Glass and it's a French play and... But here your is your subtitles on your in your glasses as you're watching, right? Um, there's to to use the technology to further where we have to go, to be more eco responsible, sustainable, and uh, sort of environmentally uh, protective, but also to never let go of the core of the core value. It it's everything that it's everything that we are, right? I mean that's. It's such a human experience. And you don't change the human experience at its core because all of the factors around you change. That's fantastic. I think we'll just leave it there. Thank you very much. You're You're welcome. Thank you. Perfect. And that was designer Andrea Lundy speaking to me from uh, her home in Montreal in June of 2017. Next time, another Bellows podcast on taxes just in time. Uh, and I will squeeze in an interesting conversation about video production and dramaturgy recorded this week from PAX Education Series. 
The music for this podcast is by Vern Good with voiceover by Gabriel Cropley. Please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the Title Block CA and on Facebook.com, the Title Block Podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to the Title Block at gmail.com. Now, don't forget that if you like the show, please support us on Patreon.com. And feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you wonder if the Gardner Expressway has another play in it. Maybe? Maybe we need Nan Shepard to come back in her wellies and raincoat to show us the way. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block. Uh, Only lighting? Did you set as well? No, no No, set. Just lighting? Yeah. No projections? No. One for Alan, for Alon Nashman, but oh, one. Right. It's kind of like, ah, this is good. Other yeah. people can do this. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>